Hi, this is Will Allred, and you're listening to Into the Night, the Moon Knight podcast. Yes, welcome back, loony listeners. You are listening to Into the Night, the Moon Knight podcast, and we are broadcasting from Grant Mansion once again. Look, it's a little bit brisk, it's a little chilly, mansions are big, rooms are spacious, but that's okay, I've got good company tonight. I'm very glad to have with me for this, the next in the Isle of Ra sessions, Will Allred, one of the co-hosts from... The Quantum Zone, a Quasar podcast. Will, welcome, welcome to Grant Mansion. Hey, thanks for having me. This is uh, been looking forward to this. Excellent. Will, <laughs> are you are you okay? I know this is quite. It's a bit cold. There's a bit of a draft. You know, the windows are, um, I don't know, eight feet tall. <laughs> trying to use your system. Uh, <laughs> uh, in a high ceilings. Uh, are you okay? Is the fire okay for you? It's perfect. Okay, perfect. okay. Well, uh, if you need to, let, we can always summon Samuels to, to stoke the fire, give it a little bit of a poke, uh, and everything should be good. But anyway, so glad to have you on here, Will. Uh, for loony listeners, this is the Isla Ra, and for those of you that haven't listened to the Isla Ra's before, um, what we do, this is, this is our kind of desert island sessions so what ha- happens is uh, special guests come on uh, we get to learn a bit more about them uh, generally that they are um, either podcasters or uh, creative types have another avenue to um, to spruce their creative works um, so we've got will on and then what we'll do is we'll go through wheels for desert island or like uh, what i like to call the isla ra books uh, what are four single issues that you could not live without or if you're stuck on the Isle of Ra? So, Will, uh, <laughs> this is going to be good. Uh, look, before we get in, in, into any of that, and what we actually have a bit of a special thing here with Will, because, Will, you've you've actually, uh, is it about 16 runner-ups, right? Uh, yeah, I did. Uh, so when, when you contacted me, I was like, oh, my God, this is hard. So I, I sat down and I said, okay, I'm going to try to list out a bunch of single issues that have kind of mattered to me or I think are really, really good. Uh, and I came up with 20. And then I pulled my top four from that. And then uh, so I, I listed those 16 runner-ups in my, my weekly newsletter. And I've been slowly trying to discuss each one of them and kind of why they're important. Um, it's, it's interesting because, I mean, I, I grew up in rural Arkansas. Not that where I live now in Arkansas is hugely populated, but <laughs> super rural Arkansas as a, as a kid, and uh, I was I was a Marvel you know kid. I read I you'll notice I wear glasses, uh, and I put that down to uh, Mark Grunewald because I poured over those uh, official handbooks of the Marvel universe. You know that super tiny type. I would read everything. <laughs> I, I probably read. Each one of those uh, deluxe edition books, you know, 50 times. Uh, yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, that's, I, uh, I, I branched out, you know, once I got older and, and read a lot more stuff. And 
yeah. kind of got sucked into the the indie world myself because I just love comics. Oh, you, I mean, and your your twenty, I guess, uh, choices are a real testament to, I guess, the the depth that you go into with your comic book reading, which is which is fantastic. I'd love to go through what we'll do. We'll we'll go through uh, the sixteen. Um, just briefly, some of them I recognise, some of them I don't. But I love learning from um, from guests that come on, that come to Grant Mansion about these comics. Uh, and it's interesting, without giving too much away yet, Will, um, what was what was like the strategy, I guess, for for picking those four out of the twenty? Like, did you imagine yourself on a desert island? Was it like, okay, I need something to really. Um, really work my mind or, or do I need something to really uh, just have fun have a bit of a, a bit of a popcorn adventure how did you approach it well I wanted I, I kind of tried to look back and, and one I wanted to look at the craft because there's a lot of great single issues out there mm. but not just on craft because something can be you know a technically perfect book but just kind of leave me cold mm. so it had to be something that mattered to me you know, there's have a lot of love for certain issues so that played into a lot of it and you know if it was kind of like well what can i remember you know what uh what what individual issues do i remember and so you know boom those got written down and i mean and there are some issues that well there's one in particular we'll talk about later that probably would never show up on anybody's best of list Mm -hmm. but I read it at the right time, yep. you know, when I was 10 or 11 or 12. And, you know, the final, you know, one of the final scenes of that book have stayed with me for, you know, decades at this mm-hmm. point. So, hey, it had well, to go on the list too. <laughs> I mean, and that, that is far reaching as well. What I was about to say was that um, I guess nostalgia has a lot to say, uh, to play mm-hmm. in it. Yeah. And uh, there could be. Um, there could be instances where you do have something that you read and you look back on it now and you read it now and you kind of go, oh, that probably wasn't the best, but I really did enjoy it when I was young. So it's it's really good to hear that you've found a few that have just kind of resonated throughout, um, you know, uh, the years. So that's uh, that's really cool. Um, also as well, Loonies, what we'll do, I forgot to mention as well, uh, so Will has picked his top four books. We'll go through it a bit later. Um, there are links in the show notes. They'll be encrypted, so you can either choose to reveal them to yourself now and have a little quick look, go read them, come back to the podcast, and then, I guess, understand a bit more about the, the books that we're going to talk about, or you can be surprised and just wait until we get uh, as we reveal them from ranked four to rank one. Uh, so, yeah, very, very exciting indeed. Speaking of these these particular books, Will, um, what I did get over the radio communique was uh, in the um, in the moon cave downstairs of this Grant Mansion. I got uh, a Morse code. I had to had to translate it, and it was from Phil Drop King. Phil, your your co-host from the Quantum Zone. Uh, so I might just uh, I might just play this on this old-fashioned wax cylinder. I guess because you know it's really old fashioned. Why not? <laughs> so let's um, let's just hear what Phil had to say uh, and uh, welcome welcome him on board as well. Take it away, Phil. Hello, Ray and Will. This is Phil from the Quantum Zone on the Capes and Lunatic Sidekicks podcast. Yeah, I know. Sound like Ray. 
really couldn't tell the difference. Uh, no, but I just wanted to drop my two cents in because, once again, just like with Matt Kona, you have uh, one of my co-hosts on, Mr. Will Allred, who I consider, I mean, every one of my team is the best in the business, but, I mean, Will has the nerd cred, and people, if you didn't know, if he didn't tell you this already on this podcast, Will actually taught a class on comic books, so... But anyway, I don't know. I'm trying to think of what I could leave feedback on because I don't know what books you you picked, Will. You know, I don't know what you guys are covering. So I was going to take a guess. So here we go. Um, first I was going to say maybe a Quasar. Maybe Quasar 25. But we cover Quasar every week on the Quantum Zone, like I said. Um, Alright, here's my guesses. I'm going to say... Will picked an Avengers issue, probably a Roger Stern written Avengers issue. Um, probably also picked, if he went DC, probably picked a How Jordan Green Lantern, because How Jordan is his favorite Green Lantern. Um, maybe a Walt Simonson Thor, because he did that in a class and he does like that run, so maybe. And then for the fourth book, nothing specific uh, I could pin down, but I bet you maybe took something that's not Marvel or DC, maybe an indie book. So those are my picks. Yeah, The Avengers by Roger Stern, I, uh, Walt Simonson Thor, some kind of How Jordan Green Lantern adventure, and some indie book. Alright, and I'm sure Will's going to tell you all about this, but hey, pick up his, uh, his self-published work, Diary of Night. If you love vampires, check it out. I mean, I give it my highest recommendation, and for me to recommend something that's not Marvel or DC, it takes a lot, so, yeah, show this guy the love, and he'll tell you how to get that, so, thanks for, uh, letting me have the floor, Ray. Sounds like a blind, Jan. Thank you. So, until next time, catch ya. Thank you, Phil. Thank you for your communique tied to the leg of a pigeon and flew thousands of miles to get here. I'm glad it arrived, Phil. Uh, Will, some, dare I say, insightful, astonishing predictions from young Mr. Perich. Absolutely. He uh, he knows my taste pretty well. We've, we've uh, hung out a lot over the last couple of years, so uh, he definitely knows uh, <laughs> what I read. <laughs> well, you know, actually, I'm a little disappointed that Phil didn't get it issue by issue, you know, because <laughs> he's, he's quite thorough. What always amazes me, and actually amazes uh, what amazes me about you as well, and, and to Matt as well, I'm not going to take anything away from Matt, all three of you, uh, is that the level of uh, of knowledge you guys have with your comics and the references, the amount that you can recall as well. I remember there was one episode, I think, um, where... Oh, yeah, I think Phil was talking about his Alara books, and he casually mentioned to you, oh, yeah, uh, Captain America 350. Now, unless you're a... I mean, you must be a big fan, right, Cap? Because... <laughs> you know, it's like okay, it's a milestone issue, but you were like, oh yeah, yeah, that's when uh, that's when U.S. agent and captain yeah. the captain met. <laughs> yeah, so that sort of stuff, really impressive. Phil does it as well. He, he pulls it out. He's um he's pretty good with it. But thank you, Phil. Uh, disappointed you didn't get them. Um, you know, issue for issue. But there you go. Anyway, Will, um, 
now we are well invested into comics. What the, the one of the first core questions I do like to ask my guests is uh, how did you get into comics? So uh, you mentioned previously rural uh, Arkansas, mm-hmm. growing up. Uh, what made you look at that spinner rack or jump into that LCS? Well, it was it was a spinner rack actually in a local drugstore, um, and I don't know. Reading has just always been something that. I kind of felt compelled to do, I guess, and um, I I spent a lot of time in front of that spinner rack reading things that sometimes I would buy, and sometimes <laughs> they would just let me stay in there because they were, they were nice and knew me and my parents and everything. But uh, it was this was you know quite some time ago, but because you know geek culture was not ascendant at that time so there were not a lot of other people around with my kind of same interests you know especially in you know rural arkansas and comics just kind of became that you know hey what's what's happening this week you know and in, in in this book or what's happening you know this week in the other book and it was i don't know i just kind of became enthralled you know and and I'll be straight up, 80s Marvel is like probably written into my DNA at this point yeah. uh, because yeah. I've read so many of those books. You know, you had uh, you had the Uncanny X-Men by Claremont, and I think mm-hmm. I remember John Romita Jr. being on there, uh, Alan Davis. Um, my great great love of other issues as well, which we will talk about. <laughs> um, and, and are you more of a, um, I guess... As you mentioned, you do like reading. Were you more drawn towards the writing aspect or the the art aspect of comic books? I don't know. There's there's something really amazing about comics because you know it's the combination of the words and the pictures, and there's more to it than that. You know, if anybody that's read Understanding Comics by Scott McCloud knows that you know it's all about the sequence and. And the gutter, you know, the, the blood in the gutters, which I, it's a great chapter title. But um, I don't know. It's it's such an efficient way to tell a story visually. Um, but comics are so hard to make and so labor intensive that oh. it may it may be efficient on that end, but it's really time consuming on the the, the front end to make them. Um, I don't know. It there's maybe I was just born at the right time, but you know, the visual aspect of how to tell a story has become, I feel like more and more important, you know, over the last 30, 40, 50 years. And well, comics, you know, the direct market in the U S is not huge. Um, but comics as a medium have just kind of exploded all over the world. You know, it's, it's, uh, it is the most efficient way to tell a story. I mean, if you look back at uh, Eisner, you know, Will Eisner was doing um, these comics on how to upkeep stuff, uh, you know, and equipment for the military because it was the best way, and most efficient way to to both show and tell. Yeah, you right. know, and it, it's just. It's probably not as dry as as like a, a a real just written manual, and it would actually yeah. keep people's interest in it, um, and as well make it very accessible. Like 
imparting knowledge make it a lot more accessible than mm-hmm. something that may be may be intimidating if you're looking at a like a thick phone book of of something to read oh, yeah. so some technical manual that will put you to sleep after five minutes yeah <laughs> <laughs> i know what i'd prefer to read so <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> yeah uh, and so um i don't know so like how did uh so with with that like with the the writing and stuff did you read a lot of sci-fi or sci-fi or fantasy stuff before or like there generally there's a an associative i guess hobby that people do and for your case it might it might be reading i'm assuming um but other people have the video games or they watch uh, saturday morning cartoons which kind of gets them into the characters uh what what was it for you that that kind of really, I guess I'm really digging here, Will. I'm, 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 I've almost got you on a couch here. Like, I feel like I'm a psychologist. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what actually drew you to the spinner rack? You, you know, was it kind of like, oh, um, I've got time to kill, or is it, hmm, this actually looks interesting? It, I don't remember. I mean, I haunted the, uh, you know, the, the local library a lot, uh, just reading, reading. And it may have been backwards. But uh, I feel like comics kind of got me into even more reading, you know, mm-hmm. instead of reading, getting me into comics. One of the first, uh, I think it's, it's like Green Lantern 121 or something. He's falling out of a plane and has lost his power ring, you know, which is uh, you know, it's bad because he can't fly without it. But um, I seem to remember picking that up, you know, off of a spinner rack. I never knew how it ended until years later <laughs> on a cliffhanger. <laughs> but um, that I feel like led me into, uh, I've always loved sci-fi. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not as huge a fantasy fan. And I think that mainly has to do with later in life when I was doing uh, my university work. Uh, because I was lucky enough to take uh, a couple of classes that were just devoted to sci-fi, and we really dug into the inner workings and and kind of the uh, you know what makes sci-fi different. You know what what is it that makes a book sci-fi? And you know from that academic standpoint, that was that was really interesting to me. So now you know science fiction is. Uh, probably my my favorite genre just because of that fantasy i've seen some authors do some amazing things with fantasy uh someone like china mieville who did uh yes, Perita, the, the scar per, Perita yeah, street, Perita station. street station yeah, yeah big Absolutely. fan of them actually yeah and and one of my professors he he put it really brilliantly i thought he goes the reason those books are so good because they're fantasy, but they feel like science fiction. I went, okay, that's why I like them so much, you know. And right, that's at this point, yeah, I, I've read probably almost everything that uh, Mieville's put out, and he's he's such an amazing writer. Because I was discussing with a, with a coworker because I've done him several of these books. He's got such a unique voice that you know if you, if you look at. Perdido Street Station and the Scar and um, the last one I can never remember the name the of the Iron last Council? one of that trip. the Iron Council Iron Council yeah, yep. yeah you look at those three books they feel a certain way but every other book that he does 
feels different. Uh, I mean, you look at the uh, Kraken. Uh, you look at, oh, yeah, uh, I haven't read that one. Yeah, the lights are though. The City and the City. Um, I mean, there's just some wild sci-fi things that he pulls off, and I'm trying to look. Let's see. He's not uh, that old as well, right? He's he's probably yeah, in he's, his. He's... Probably the late thirties, early yeah. forties. Yeah. yeah, amazing the the world he creates. You know, it's, mm-hmm. yeah. He's uh, and he's kind of a darling of the uh, the Marxist critics, which is kind of where I am from doing my you know graduate and postgraduate stuff. So mm-hmm. he's he's just a really interesting writer, and and then I, I say I don't like fantasy. Mm-hmm. Okay, of course the Lord of the Rings movies are awesome. <laughs> I, I do remember. I do remember trying to read uh, the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings to mm-hmm. my sons. That's one of the things I did every night. Yeah, I would read at bedtime, and those books, as you know, well loved as they are, are not really meant to be read out loud. It, there's so many. You know, the sentences go on and on. Yeah, and they do, don't they? They're so they're so hard to read out loud. So yeah, um, that kind of the thing about the, the boys and I is we we loved uh, the John Carter books. I probably read them out loud like four times to them. You know, Princess of Mars, Gods of Mars, and Warlord of Mars in particular. But we went ahead and read the other ones as well. And uh, you know, it has the the sword fights. It has yeah. the sci-fi Mars. I mean, it was. How, how do you how do you like? That's a long thing, right? So how how do, how much do you get in per bedtime read? Uh, one chapter, or is it like half a chapter? Hey, I would probably read for 30 minutes. Okay, um, cool. 45, sometimes an hour, because they're like, keep going. And, ah, okay. you know, I'm I'm kind of a an old softy, I guess, because that's... Eventually, the boys got old enough, they were like, you know, Dad, we're, we're 16 now. You don't need to read to us anymore. I'm like, but I like yeah. reading to you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I can imagine. Yeah, for sure. So that's, that's one of the things I really miss about them being younger. You know, every night, you know, we mm. would I could look forward to us reading. And we read, uh, we, you can't see it up on the bookshelf, but we have uh, the hardbacks of the original Hardy Boys. Okay. We went through, we went through all of those. Yeah. About, oh, five or ten books in, they were like, Okay, this is where they get knocked out. Okay, this is where this happens. <laughs> I'm like, hey guys, we started it. We're gonna finish it. You go. Yeah. Oh, look. I reckon. Anyway, regardless of the fact of if they're saying you know you don't need to read us, um, those are memories that they will cherish anyway. You know that um, because it reminds me of a, a good friend of mine as well. He's actually moved to another state now. Uh, we went to the we grew up we went to the same school and uh, his parents or his i'm assuming it's his dad would read uh, lord of the rings and stuff to him and his brothers when when he was young um but yeah uh, he has fond fond memories of uh, of that being young and 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 having you know the folks read to you so uh yeah i mean i i guess as much as they probably shirk away from it now being being the the edgy teenagers <laughs> uh, they'll look back on it you know and i just they'll love it um, uh, they and it's uh, well. I, I guess I probably talk about this all the time, but uh, they're identical twins. Yeah. Uh, so they. Uh, <laughs> Do you ever get them mixed up? <laughs> <laughs> well. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah, um, it's okay. Yeah. They typically would dress in a particular color, yeah. you know. But if I looked at them from behind and I yeah. wasn't sure what who was wearing what color that day, it'd be like, yeah. "Hey, you kid." 
So <laughs> whoever you are, <laughs> you, you don't like walk around with a permanent marker and just kind of like you know just mark just mark one of them. <laughs> just, just I like, did, oh, there you, I, go. <laughs> you know, as a comics fan, I might have suggested tattoos when they were really young, oh, yeah. but my wife talked me back. So there we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll get through some of these books as well uh, and some of your ranks, but I know uh, I guess I wanted to touch upon uh, and this kind of fed into that last question about your books and what you do read and and so it doesn't surprise me that you're saying sci-fi because it seems to me being one of the co-hosts for the quasar podcast quantum zone and uh there no being being no secrets that you do like green lantern you seem to have a cosmic edge to you when it comes to comics um is that fair to say i mean i do know you're four so i can say that it, it's not necessarily so but completely fair i mean science fiction is just uh, you know of course, Star Trek, Star Wars, you know, I mean, yeah. you get all of those, I mean, all Earth those one. things have, yeah, <laughs> I don't think we want to go down that road, but, <laughs> Fair but uh, well, and that's, that's something that's, I mean, I, I consider Empire Strikes Back a perfect movie. Yeah, it's, right. it's one of those you know, that I can watch again and, and miss things. Uh, there was a, a great little podcast that did an, you know, this is why Star Wars works as movies and this is why Star Trek doesn't. And he started talking about oh, yeah. Empire and, and the way the colors and, and, and you know, the staging of it, you know, you had Vader above. Uh, you know, and it was just like, there was so much thought and subtext put into not only the staging, but the set design and everything that I'm just, I can keep, finding new stuff every time I watch that movie and I've seen it a few times oh yeah great no <laughs> I mean <laughs> it is highly regarded isn't it and you'd be uh, yeah definitely no surprises um, and I'd be I'd be disappointed if you hadn't watched it more than once let's just say that um, <laughs> just quickly a little hot takes what do you think of the latest ones or, or the, the prequels How I think they they're st- beautiful mm-hmm. they're, they're really beautiful I mean that's one of the things that and the prequels, you know, I can sit back and watch them. <laughs> Not so uh, much. <laughs> yeah, they're 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 still nice looking movies, and you know, I have the memories of me and the boys, and you know, my oh, father course. going to see them. So you know, those those are good. Um, and the current ones, I have to say that, just like from a cinematography and you know CGI and the effects and everything. They are absolutely just beautiful. I mean, they they are just you know amazingly beautiful. You look at every shot, and there's you know it's, it's just beautiful. Um, Story wise, um, <laughs> I always have I always have my Star Wars. So yeah, uh, yeah. you know, and I guess there's I really came into this trilogy. And I and I really wanted to, to like and I and I do like Ray as a main character, but that name. <laughs> yeah. The, the um, amount of times that I get mistaken for Ray down, yeah. walking down the street, it's All uncanny. The time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I I really wanted to like the character, and there are some really likable characters. It's just that I don't know it. it it doesn't have the. Like I, it just doesn't. 
it just doesn't feel like Star Wars to me, honestly. Yeah. And part of the, I think part of the problem is, and I guess I'll go down this rabbit hole a little bit. Um, for us to get to where they are in Episode Seven, every one of the characters that you know I pretty much grew up with and have read multiple books about and watched the movies and all that stuff, they all had to fail in almost every respect of their lives to get us to the point where suddenly there's a giant, you know, planet Death Star thing now. So it just seemed really, you know, so there was, there's no hope. I mean, it just seems so bleak, mm. you know, yeah. um, but that's just, that's just this, this old man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think Star Wars is really, it, because it's such a big beast, isn't it? So uh, there's a lot of expectations, a lot of standards. Uh, everyone has their own um, way or, or reason why they like it. Uh, and so it would be a, a monumental task to try and appease everyone. And especially to, even with those prequels, um, I'd imagine fans were just as excited but also just as uh, uh, critical of them because because they, they value it so much. I can, I can understand it. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I don't know I don't know whether it's a mishandling of, of Disney or, or whatever or, or how that goes. Um, I'm not I do watch the movies. I'm, I can't say that I'm a huge huge Star Wars fan, uh, but I know the characters. I know who Yoda is. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, baby Yoda, no, yeah, the child, the child. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you seen the Mandalorian, right? Did you like that? I, I enjoyed that. Oh. I thought that was pretty good. Uh, me, uh, my wife, the boys, we. We really liked it. Mm. It was, it was. There was a certain nostalgia hit to it too, but it was so yep. well made. It was and, for a TV show. It's like a movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, boom! We've got individual episodes that they've taken this, you know, cinematic quality to. So yeah, we we really loved that. And I've heard, honestly, great things about you know the uh, Clone Wars and Rebels, but I've. Oh, the animated series? Yeah, Yeah, the animated stuff. And I just haven't had a chance. I remember seeing the first, like the movie Clone Wars. Mm -hmm. Now, and again, I'm probably showing my age here. (laughs) Clone Clone Wars, to me, are the animated, you know, Ginty Tartakovsky, you know, that were on Cartoon Network. Uh, Uh, You know, like the five-minute episodes or six-minute episodes that had, you know, Mace Windu. Uh, You got to see these really cool... Because we were big fans of Powerpuff Girls and uh, Samurai Jack and right. Dexter's Lab. I mean, we—that's what the boys grew oh, up on. Okay. And yeah, I, yeah, yeah. And and I, those are those are just awesome. So that's my first thought: is the really animated, you know, the traditional animated mm-hmm. Clone Wars is the first thing I think of. And oh yeah, then there was the CG animated series, which yeah, you know, I was I thought it started out pretty good. Um, but apparently it got really, really good yeah. even later on. So that's one of those things that's kind of on my list to, to you know, circle back around and watch and see see how it turned out. And then Rebels as well is, is I, I understand, really good too. Yeah, uh, yeah, me too. I've heard from a few people now um, peppering me to go watch it. And I've got to find time to watch, what is it, like over 100 episodes or something. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's going to take a while, but uh, I'll get there. I'll get there. Um, 
anyway, Will, uh, speaking of the fantastic creativity of Star Wars, let's now talk about the fantastic creativity coming from that brain of yours, Will. Uh, and <laughs> uh, so for loonies that don't know as well, um, Will, you do, and you alluded to earlier, you do create your own comics as well. Um, so there is a regular newsletter that comes out. It's called Midnight Hour. Uh, and it keeps everyone uh, up to date with your projects, how things are going, um, some sneak peeks, some previews as to concept art, um, uh, even like titles, stuff like that. Uh, currently, because uh, I, 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 I get it, currently um, w- there's a, a project called Crossovers, which you are working on. Can you tell us a little bit about that for any Looney listeners that might be interested? Sure. It's uh, going to have to be, unfortunately, renamed. Uh, <laughs> Uh, there was a book that was just announced from Image called Crossover, and I'm like, oh man, I lost it. And it's coming, it's coming out in November, and I think it's by Donnie Cates, and I can't remember the artist. Yeah. But um, and I'm I've got a Kickstarter plan right now to launch in November for for the series. Um, but uh, after talking to you know a bunch of other creators, they're like, dude, just change the name and, and move on. But it was because I've been really careful about going through all my process to get everything ready mm. for the Kickstarter. And I was like, this was not on my checklist. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? So it kind of threw me for a minute. I just found out like two, two, three days ago, I think they announced it as part of the Comic-Con at home stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Oh, this was not something that I was expecting. And it's thrown me a little bit, but I think we've got maybe a new name. Mm-hmm. I think we might go with, like crossover division, mm-hmm. but um, basically it's uh, you know, stories, public domain for obvious reasons, <laughs> start uh, kind of invading reality and only a, uh, an English professor and a research librarian kind of have the, the smarts and the knowledge to, to save reality. Uh, so it's really kind of cool. We get uh, in the first little eight-page story that I did with my artist, uh, Pablo Martinena, who is amazing. He's he's great. Uh, and then I work with uh, Brant Fowler, who's our letterer designer. He's he's pretty awesome. Mm, he's pretty yeah, awesome. That was good. Yeah. That's a really good job. But um, we cross over. So we cross over with uh, the Wizard of Oz in this little eight-page story, oh. you know, it shows up, and they have to stop the crossover. Uh, it's it's a lot of fun, uh, and and I've already scripted. The first four issues, this eight-page stories are obviously done. Um, I scripted the first four issues, and then I scripted a one-shot. But uh, the cool thing is, I get to, I get to take, do something kind of my own poor version of, of a little bit of what uh, Warren Ellis was doing on Planetary, which was taking at a concept and seeing why it was cool, right? Okay. And so, in the first first issue which you know, will be kickstarting in November, we look at uh, War of the Worlds. So it's also the, you know, how does it get into you know, the, the beginning? It's the origin issue kind of thing. But, uh, you know, what would a uh, 50, 100 foot uh, Martian tripod look like, you know, walking down the street and you're like, oh, wow, that's cool, but oh, crap, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's it's really fun. I am, 
I'm a tremendous fan of uh, Walter Simonson's work, and mm-hmm. he's uh, Nat or something. Um, <laughs> uh, he uh, he always works with I think the letters Tom Morzikowski. Mm-hmm. So, and you can always tell his lettering of the big doom, you know, with the, <laughs> that goes all. Yeah. So we play a little bit of that just because I, I'm one of those weird people that notice lettering. Yeah. Uh, it's because it's so important to how you perceive the story, but yet it's kind of ubiquitous. It's just there. And that's, sorry, that's my oh. Basset Hound over there. That's Otis, oh, you, the you, uh, you Midnight brought, Hour talk. <laughs> you brought the Basset Hound with, with you to Grant Mansion, right? Yeah, so we, yes, we've got him, right. yeah, we've, we've got him drinking <laughs> some water. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, he, um, he's the, uh, the dog. But anyway, um, lettering is so important, mm. and... You know, bad lettering can ruin a story, um, and it's it's great to work with Brant because he's such a really you know great letterer. I, um, I I just like to play with a lot of those aspects because I'm like, hey, we can do something cool with the lettering. Let's do something cool with the lettering, mm-hmm. right? You know, let's do something different. It's not just those are the words on the page because there's a real design sense to it that, that has to. It has to look good as a graphic element, but it also ha- controls the flow of the story. You know, yes. the way you, the art should lead your eye, but you know, speech balloons uh, and captions and all of those graphic elements that are words also help. You know, kind of the flow of the story. So it's, I know it's just fun to to pick these things apart and yeah. and say, okay, we're going to try to do this or we're going to try yeah. to do that. Uh, the, the second issue we deal with uh, Dracula. Awesome. The book, the book, and does he have the the man buns like Gary Oldman, the the big? Uh, no, but he does have a mustache. Uh, in the oh. book, he has this mustache, and so we're trying to be we, we try to be uh, you know as faithful to we can as, as whatever mm-hmm. work you know that we're crossing over with. But what's always kind of fascinated me about Dracula is is the brides. So this kind of focuses more on the brides of Dracula and yeah. how. Which gets into all the weird Victorian attitudes toward women and yeah. all these things I kind of want to get out there. And uh, then the final, uh, so this first arc is four issues. The final arc is going to be uh, dealing with some Shakespeare stuff. Uh, okay. Because there, there's good Shakespeare stuff and then there's... Shakespeare stuff that I find really annoying. So we get both of them in there. <laughs> yeah. I think that's really cool. I love the concept of, of crossovers because um, it's immediately, I guess, for readers, there'd be something that they would immediately kind of um, gra- grab onto, like whether it's knowing about Dracula or, or the War of the Worlds, and they can associate that. Uh, and also then it, it's... Uh, it's a limitless play field, play field isn't it? Uh, you can just you can pick anything, and it's it's great. So the p- massive potential uh, possibilities of stories to tell there, uh, yeah, really it's good. It's a lot of fun. It's a yeah. lot of fun. I <laughs> um, also wanted to say as well, uh, um, you're right about the lettering. It's so true because it's not an overtly obvious thing to 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 um, to work and manipulate on and to create your your um, your book and tell your story, but uh, I'm sure any any of you listening out now who, who do read comics, you just understand what it means that um, the, the letters can make or break really a comic, and it can really ruin a story. Um, 
if it's done really bad. Um, but as you say as well, there's that craft of, of leading the eye and the word bubbles. And uh, I'd imagine also as well, there's a bit of there's a bit of push and pull between the the writer and the artist as well. Of um, you don't want to populate the whole panel with with writing, uh, and, and it became becomes too kind of verbose. You'd like to have some um, some sort of give. For, for the the medium the the visual medium to actually tell the story as well so there's so much I guess at work there uh, it's quite amazing also lastly as well you mentioned Walter Simonson fantastic uh, Walt Simonson um, recently his his wife right uh, Hall of Fame uh, that's Louise right that Simonson. was just announced last night I think yeah, uh, yeah she was just uh, Louise Simonson was just uh, inducted into the Eisner Hall of Fame Eisner which Hall of Fame rightly so very well deserved yeah, yeah absolutely absolutely so that's um that's fantastic. Uh, uh, also as well, uh, so Crossovers, which is coming over, uh, starting to hopefully drop in November um, through Kickstarter as well. And we'll, we'll place the uh, relevant links in the show notes for any of you loonies out there interested to, to, um, to find out more about it. Uh, but you had a project before that, and this is what I kind of got into, which was Diary of Night as well. Um, and that was a creation through, through Kickstarter as well. It, it actually uh, started out, we were listed in Diamond. It was uh, through a really small press company called Bloodfire Studios. So uh, Gene Gonzalez is a wonderful artist. Uh, he, uh, he and I did the four issues, and then uh, Bloodfire put them out. Uh, so that was several years ago. And we had, so we had these issues done. Uh, oh, and I, have to, I, I, can't, I have to mention the rest of the team. Uh, Russ Wooten was our letterer and designer, and he's a beast. He, uh, he's pro- Diary's probably not his best-known work. There's this little indie book uh, from Image called Walking Dead that he letters oh, as really? well. <laughs> i never heard of, never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, it's a little... Nobody's ever heard of it, yeah. right? Uh, he also uh, does uh, all the design and lettering for uh, Monstress, uh, which oh, is wow. Uh, wow. beautiful. That, yeah, beautiful the lettering book. in Monstrous is yeah. really good, yeah. So Russ is, I, I feel lucky to have worked with him before he got you know a superstar as a letterer. But uh, Diary was, was a lot of fun because ultimately, I'm not, I, I will, here, here we go. Ooh, there yeah, it is. There you uh, go, Petrini's. <laughs> Lovely. Um, but it, it kind of grew out of you know, I'm not, I don't really feel like I'm a horror writer um, because, I don't know, that genre doesn't really appeal to me a lot. I mean, I understand why, it, I understand its appeal and uh, what, uh, it is extremely popular. But my approach to Diary was, okay, she's a, uh, I kind of backed into the whole vampire thing because I was more interested in like, well, if I had, immortality what would I do you know and okay well I, I read a lot and she reads a lot <laughs> and um, there's always that thought isn't there like um, yeah. you know you, you must have come across it millions of times reading going uh, I'll never be able to read everything in my lifetime exactly. because there's just so much <laughs> out there yeah yeah so it's yeah. so then I, you know, I kind of back well how do I make her immortal well, there's an easy shortcut. Everybody knows that, hey, vampires are immortal. So, boom, let's make her a vampire. But then I thought, well, if vampires exist, I started treating it more like a, like kind of this unwanted condition. You know, it was 
treating them more like a persecuted minority, uh, you know, because, you know, this happens to you, you know, oh my God, what, what does even this mean? How do I live? How do I survive? I have to, do I have to kill people? I don't really want to kill people, you know, to, to live. So, you know, having her try to help, you know, just her, what she considers her people, uh, and, and, you know, give them a place where they could, you know, be safe because, you know, safety is kind of, you know, important to, you know, especially the people who can only be out and about half the time, right? You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I kind of backed into it that way. And then I wanted to tell, I wanted to tell stories for her. I wanted to kind of have, give her that origin story, but have her past kind of come up to, come back to catch up to her and, you know, kind of put her through the ringer. Um, recently, uh, I did another Kickstarter where I've got, you know, these soft covers. I basically did kind of a flash fiction challenge for myself where I wrote a hundred word story. Yeah. And that hundred word story, I hand lettered into, you know, a hundred copies of the books. There's a hundred, hundred ish, a hundred copies of the soft cover that have their own individual 100 word diary entries is what I called it. It's really cool. And that was, that was a tremendous amount of fun because I could, you know, I have the, the breadth of history from, you know, a thousand years ago. She's like 1100 years old. And I got to play with, uh, you know, what are some cool dates, you know, mm. that maybe she somewhere, you know, she's, she's been to Italy during the Renaissance. She met, uh, briefly Michelangelo. She met Da Vinci, you know, yeah. and talked to him a little bit. Uh, are you much of a historian? Do you like uh, a lot of history? Do you read a lot of history? Stuff like that? I, I try to, I don't read as much as I want to. I've got a, a great book, uh, um, uh, on World War II, uh, the Pacific Theater is called uh, Hirohito's War, I think, mm -hmm. uh, because the, the the Pacific the Pacific Theater has always kind of interested me more than the European Theater in World War II, mm -hmm. um, because, well, and I tell people this, they're like, "What? You're weird." I'm like, yes, I know I'm weird, but anyway. Uh, I only exist because of polio. Right. So let me explain that. Yeah. <laughs> is polio some sort of god? <laughs> no, no, uh, no, polio is a disease. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So my uh, my father was born in 1950. Mm -hmm. Okay. My grandfather was had been drafted in '43. And had went through basic training, and he was bound for Iwo Jima, which bloody fighting. Well, not a lot. A lot of people didn't come home from Iwo Jima. You know, both sides. Um, but my uncle, who was born, I think in '41 or something like that, um, he got uh, polio. So my grandfather, you know, they they said you need to go back to your family and you know, take care of your kids so he didn't he wasn't sent to Iwo Jima odds are if he was sent to Iwo Jima he probably wouldn't have come home which means my father wouldn't have been born <laughs> and which would have made it kind of difficult for me to be born no, as well yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> I'm not too clued in on uh, on biology but I reckon that probably <laughs> wouldn't be <Sure>. possible <laughs> anyway I guess that's kind of why I'm so fascinated with that mm. specific theater I mean the fighting was just so bloody uh the, I mean, World War II is 
is just an interesting thing too. You know, the, yeah. the battle against fascism, and because I'm, I'm gonna, uh, which I'm, I'm finishing up my second story for the third issue of uh, Always Punch Nazis, which is I think on Kickstarter right now, cool. which is a lot of fun. I'm working with the artist uh, Robin Davis, who we did uh, a story for number two, which was pretty well received, and I'm pretty happy with it um cool. this was this one i hope you know i'll keep trying uh, hopefully i've gotten a little bit better every time but yeah, uh nice. we we hope that it's it's going to be as good as the first one if not better so that's a long-winded way of wherever i don't know where yeah. we were going with that but <laughs> <laughs> no but uh, i guess the takeaway is that geez like you are very industrious with with your writing i mean geez you're talking about those hundred words you're, you're constantly writing it's um it's quite quite a feat, and it's it's quite amazing actually. So um, that's really yeah, it's really commendable. Well, I'm kind of I try to be inspired by you know well other creators inspire me and you know kind of spur me on the work. Uh, one of your fellow countrymen, Ryan K. Lindsay, is is an amazing writer, and he's just able to get so much done with the day job and the family mm. and. A, Oh, I feel kind of like a slacker compared to him. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can imagine, like, because writing just takes up so much time. You know, uh, I, that's unfair to say on other crafts as well, because I'm sure they take just as much time. But it just seems like writing uh, it requires a lot of solitary, just focus, uh, a lot of, t- of time management putting aside. So it's very difficult to understand how uh, people multitask and juggle them. Um, so it's always, it's always, it always amazes me. It's, it's amazing to kind of see. Well, for me, it's—I've always kind of fought the idea of time management. You know, I always want to be able to get lots of stuff done in the shortest amount of time possible. So I kind of went through this productivity phase where I'm like, I want to have a spreadsheet where I track every 15 minutes of what I do. And that lasted about half a day. <laughs> this is nuts. I can't do this. Yeah, yeah. But uh, uh, one of the guy, one of the creators that I work with. Uh, uh, Tyler James of the Comics Launch podcast mm-hmm. and Comics Pride. He uh, got us these uh, nice. full focus planners, which are pretty cool. Um, so what it does is say, look, they're for ninety days. It makes you put in your. This is, I want to get these ten things done in a year, but I'm going to focus on these three or four things for this quarter. And. To be honest, once I started using that, I've been I've been more productive than ever because it it reminds me and forces me to focus on what I want to get done. Yeah, and then I make time for it. Right? It's, yeah. Uh, and I, and I, I guess think, sorry. It's, uh, I think well, the last year I know has been the most, and I, I have these really modest goals. I want to try to do like four pages of script mm. a week. Uh, but last year was the most productive I'd ever been, and I'm on track this year to be even more productive because I'm just doing better about yeah. making sure I get the stuff done that I want to get done. It's yeah. pretty amazing. I mean, sometimes it does help to, to really just put it down on paper. It sounds funny because you're a writer. <laughs> but, yeah, um, I know. <laughs> uh, just put it down. But also as well because I tell my partner, Reef as well, when when things get kind of o- overwhelming, like not, not just writing, um, like just other stuff, like tasks and stuff. Uh, it's always great to to create bite size like smaller goals to actually reach that larger goal because uh, what it does is that you do get that sense of accomplishment if you do um, tick off that from your checklist and 
okay, okay, I'm on, I'm, I'm on track actually to reach the bigger goal. And so, yeah, I mean that that's kind of my mantra as well to always just kind of, uh, what's the saying to, to see the the forest from the trees. Um, yep. uh, the other way around, though. Sorry, actually, to, to see the trees from the forest and to really zoom in. But uh, yeah, no, that's great. That's cool. Um, uh, and uh, I forgot. Sorry, Will. We've been chatting for a while. You must have been a little thirsty. What I usually do offer the guests uh, a little something. Yes. Are you um, are, are you up for a little tipple of something? How about some water? Does that uh, sound all right? Yeah, some water. Yeah. Let, let me just ring the bell. Okay, we're, we're just going to get Samuels here. He's um he's had enough rest. It's been over an hour. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> there, Samuels, very quick with that. There you go. Thank you, Samuels. Oh, look, I'm going to have... Um... Perfect temperature, too. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yes, Will, Samuels will require it uh, at... Uh, I'm doing Celsius. Uh, but, uh, 10 degrees, <laughs> no more, no less. Uh, thank you, Samuels. And uh, that's from a spring... Up in the mountains of uh, of the Swiss Alps, there, Will, uh, as requested. Excellent, that's uh, more than I could have hoped for. Fantastic. Here at Grant Mansion, we do not we do not um, shortchange anyone. So there, you go. Samuel's. Can I just have a um, maybe a, I don't know what a milkshake? Thank you, Samuel's. Maybe let's make it. Um, Black orchid flavored. <laughs> okay, why not? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so cool, great. Thank you. I'm so sorry about that. I'm glad we got the the drink sorted. Samuel's was just waiting. He was just waiting for the order. He he was fantastic. Um, such such great service, here, Samuel's. Oh, I'll tell Mark. Don't worry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so Will, uh, just going on with your, um, I guess your journey with comics as well. Uh, so you mentioned again also at the top of the show you're doing a postgrad. Um, so you have worked at a university uh, teaching or, or um, lecturing yeah. on comics as well? I, I, I work at, uh, I do, during my day job, uh, I do uh, technology. So uh, I can build you some VMware clusters and get you some virtual storage and all that kind of fun stuff uh, during the day. And then at night... Uh, for about six years, I was teaching. I'm kind of on a bit of a sabbatical, trying to get more writing done right now. But uh, I taught at uh, one of our uh, junior colleges. Uh, uh, it's I joke a lot. Um, my wife, my wife has an art degree. Uh, she has a bachelor of fine arts, and uh, I think photography was her focus. But she does a lot of graphic design. Uh, and I have uh, a couple of English degrees. And we always joke which which degree is worth less. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, she doesn't call me doctor, but you know, one of these days maybe. <laughs> um, but uh, so, yeah, I got my PhD in English, and then I I decided to do some teaching just because I had never really done it. And I, part of it was I wanted to kind of stretch myself and see if I could, you know be in front of a classroom and mm -hmm. not just step behind and, you know, read something, try to actually engage. And, and it was really awesome because, uh, I was just teaching, uh, uh, basic comp one, you know, composition one. Uh, and after a couple of years, I'm like, Hey, I've, you know, I love comics. I want to teach class on comics. And I first went to the university uh, where I work during the day and, that didn't work out for a variety of weird reasons, but um, I talked to 
the director of, of where I was teaching, and she's like, sure, here, write up the, you know, your syllabus and everything, which I'd already done. <laughs> so, um, that must have looked very eager. <laughs> like, oh, oh look, yeah. I'm very unprepared. <laughs> oh, hang on. My I'm back unprepared. Pocket. Here, yeah, here you go. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, uh, she said, sure, uh, oh. we'll just, you know, do it. So we did a night class. I think I got to teach it like three times uh, nice. while I was teaching. But it was, it was so much fun. Um, because I did it, uh, I wanted it to be kind of a really wide overview, but I didn't want to go too far afield into the indie comics because mm-hmm. I feel like you can, if you don't have this foundational understanding of how comics works, then a, some indie comics might just go completely over your head. You know, I wanted, I wanted the students to be able to appreciate. So I tried to stick with, it was really, I tried to stick with my favorite writers, basically, is what uh, I did. <laughs> so, I was about to say, did you slip in some Grunwald in there? Or? I, not really, well, he edited some things, mm-hmm. but um, I did, There was so there was a pop quiz, because this was more about discussion and, and read, you know, we're going to talk about the read, you know, we're gonna, here's, here's what you need to read, we're going to talk about it, there's going to be a pop quiz. Um, five questions, you know, who wrote it, who drew it, yeah. name a character in it. I mean, it was the, you know, if you had picked up the book, you probably got it just from osmosis, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and there was always a bonus question. And the question was, who was the best character ever in the universe? And sorry, Looney, but that answer was always Quasar, okay? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't mind. Quasar's pretty cool. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, so I focused on those writers, and the first book we did was, of course, Understanding Comics by Scott McCloud. Mm. Which, I've got to read that. I mean, you've mentioned it twice now. It sounds like a really good read. It was mind blowing when it came out because he put so many of these things that were kind of only half understood. But it's a comic. Mm. He's done it in comic form, and uh, he just talks about how. You know what the core of comics are are about sequence. It's about you have two pictures and then you have a gutter in between. Point in time, point in time. Time is space. You know on a comic page, and there's just so. I mean, McLeod. It was. It's just foundational, and to think that we didn't have it before it came out, it's just kind of unthinkable almost because it's it does he built on the work of will eisner you know because eisner had a i can't remember the title of that book uh comics and uh, comics and sequential art maybe i think by eisner so anyway we started out with that book and then we jumped into uh, alan moore Uh, we did a couple of books by alan moore we did uh, let's see we did watchmen and v for vendetta Mm-hmm. I personally prefer prefer V for Vendetta because Watchmen is just so bleak. Uh, mm, but nice. uh, then we jumped into Bendis. No, we jumped into Ellis, and oh, okay. Um, I know there's a lot of recent stuff about him, which just uh, kind of he's one of your favorite writers as well, right? So I wrote my dissertation on mm. him, so <laughs> yeah. I, I kind of feel hugely disappointed. But uh, you know, I certainly understand. I certainly believe everything that's that's been said mm. just because yeah. anyway just it was hugely disappointing on a number of levels but uh i 
we did um, Transmetropolitan, which uh, was they loved, you know, Spider Jerusalem and all that wacky sci-fi stuff in Transmet. And then uh, we did probably one of my favorite series of all time. Uh, it's it, it, it approaches Quasar, but Planetary. Mm-hmm. Planetary is brilliant on so many levels, and it actually influences what I'm trying to do with crossovers a little bit. Okay. Uh, oh, with uh, what you mentioned about um, uh, kind of taking a concept? Fictional and... reality. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because <clears throat> yeah. there was a single issue where they create a fictional world and then they send people to it and then they bring uh, something back. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, wait a minute. So that, that definitely influenced, influenced uh, crossovers. And then, you know, so Ellis, we do Grant Morrison, we do All-Star Superman. Um, oh, yeah. Let me teach Silence and Thor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that we, we read Thor, uh, which yeah. is awesome. <laughs> and, Why uh, not? Highly um, regarded, a highly regarded run. Yeah. Uh, of course, we had to do Dark Knight Returns um, because that's... I actually prefer Batman Year One over Dark Knight Returns, mm-hmm. but uh, Dark Knight Returns is that 800-pound gorilla, so we just it kind of had to be on that, that syllabus. So this is kind of a yeah. hodgepodge of all this different popular Marvel DC stuff. That that was just a precursor, right, to the main event, which was obviously the Manchinkevich Moon Knight run, right? That's right. right. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> I probably mentioned that in the class. But, uh, <laughs> uh, we did, of course, uh, Mouse. Uh, mm. Yep, which was you know a Pulitzer Prize-winning uh, graphic novel. Consistently, yeah, consistently considered in the all-time great greatest comics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, but it was it was just such a fun class because you know one I was showing them in practice you know what some of these things are and how they did it. Two, it was just sitting down and talking to a bunch of other yeah. comic fans for three hours a week. You know, it was awesome. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> How did it? I mean, oh, I guess that's you get down to specifics when it came to like marking stuff. Uh, we did again. It was more of a kind of a survey class, so it was uh-huh. multiple choice, multiple choice oh, tests. Okay, okay, right, yeah, like, yeah. Who wrote it? Who drew it? Oh, and okay. the character. You know, it was. You had to try really hard not to get an A in the class. Okay. okay? <laughs> <laughs> Fair nobody tried. Nobody tried that hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that. <clears throat> Would have been a great experience anyway to, as you mentioned, uh, to get away from behind the books or behind the actual, uh, I guess, academic side of it, theoretical side, and put it into practice as, as like a, a teacher to um, to impart some some knowledge and to to uh, promote discussion amongst people. Uh, so that kind of skill, I would imagine, took you would have you would have taken bits of that when it came to like podcasting as well because. It can be quite intimidating as well. You've got this big mic in front of you. Uh, it's a different environment. You have to, I guess, just um, yeah. <laughs> I'm struggling now. So like, you have to articulate your stuff uh, and uh, yeah, make sure that your your ideas are kind of concise as well. So when your your first experience in podcasting was that with the Quantum Zone, or had you done something before? <clears throat> yeah, excuse me. Um, it it was. Uh... I think I'd been a guest on a show or two when I was doing the Diary of Night Kickstarter. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was definitely my first experience. There was a, a call put out, I think, by Phil. You know, like, hey, you know, anybody who loves Quasar, you want to do a Quasar podcast? And I'd been, uh, I put the Quantum Zone up a 
long time ago, uh, quantumzone.org, which is where I collect all the Quasar stuff about. Yes, uh, quantum, quantumzone.org, not .net. Not .net, Matt. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, because uh, I've got, uh, you know, appearances out there, um, a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, yeah. any original art from the series that I've It's really good. Cause I love, I, I I love art. Yeah, I've, I've got all those scans out there, um, and just a place. It kind of became more. It started out really as a a way for me, like I want to collect all of Quasar's appearances. Well, what are they? I don't know. So mm-hmm. I just started researching and okay. started writing down what I was researching. So uh, it's it's a lot of fun. My and I haven't updated it in forever. It's been years, literally, since I've updated. I need to get back to that, mm-hmm. but. Uh, it it was fun for me because I could bring like uh, my Thor omnibus, which is over back here Ooh, in the, the library behind. Yeah, lovely. Yeah, uh, I love those things. Not only can you injure people with them, <laughs> but you can read them, so it's awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah. If you can't reach anything I, on the top shelf, you can just step on it as well. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I was able to bring stuff in, you know, from you know my weird collection of stuff that I've amassed over the years like um, you know I brought in some original art for them to look at uh, from Quasar from my book Diary of Night you know uh, like here's here's a book from you know the late late 80s early 90s and you can see that they did all the lettering on the board mm-hmm. you know and see it's in black and white this is the actual board that the artist used and then I could take it to you know, here's a page from Diary of Night, and you notice there's no lettering on it. Gee, why is that? Yeah. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> because lettering really shifted over to digital lettering. Right. You know, in the early to mid '90s, so that you know, probably mid '90s, um, so that lettering is all done with something like Illustrator, or there's other applications out there, and uh, all the books were put together. You know, kind of digital at that point so you could then send the files to the the press and have them print everything Uh, artist editions from IDW I've got the of course the Thor artist edition uh, which is reprints the original art you know at size fantastic and and, you know just being able to share this with uh, you know the students I think this stuff was really cool yeah well too and they're like this stuff was really cool (laughs) Yeah, that's good. That's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, also uh, another kind of. Uh, I think we'll we'll kind of wrap this up soon, so we can actually get into your your four desert island or Isla Ra books. But there's just a few more questions, Will, if you don't mind, uh, before we um, we jump away to another location. We get whisked away. Um, so I've got to ask one of the staples that we ask as well. Uh, so you mentioned that more of a cosmic angled kind of cosmic uh, comic book. F- for our fan um, with Moon Knight I guess uh, what are your where have you come across Moon Knight in your in your journey with comics and have, have you read many runs of, of him at all or? I've read some um, Warren Ellis one I'm assuming well I have I have them but I don't have oh. all of them yet so oh. I haven't I, don't, I haven't read it yet um, I reckon I read the first issue maybe mm-hmm. uh, which was interesting but uh, Moon Knight is interesting because I remember and I think I really first got exposed to Moon Knight from uh, West Coast Avengers. Ah, very good. 
yes. which is kind of this, you know, lost in space time, classic yes. run by Steve Englehart and Al Milgram. Al Milgram. Yeah. yeah. Which was a lot of fun, but I kind of, I guess, been exposed to him a little bit before that because uh, you look at artist uh, Bill Sienkiewicz, and I noticed this, and believe me, I'm not the first person to notice this. I'm probably like, like you know, person number one million <laughs> to notice this. But <laughs> when I did it, I was like, wow, this is interesting because he really started out as kind of this Neil Adams clone. Yeah. And then you can watch some of those covers of Moon Knight as he starts to really become himself. Yeah. And it's really this amazing process. And I and it's really those covers that I kind of have I, I remember most you know, from from being exposed to it. And you see some of the things that he does now and or you look at, you know, even the New Mutants when he was doing that with Chris Claremont. Yeah. The Demon Bear saga where he's just getting and it's honestly, it's not, he is, he's a genius, I think. Mm. Uh, it's not the style of art that I typically like. I really like clean lines mm-hmm. and everything. And he's got this scratch and grit and, and stuff in his art. But it's just so beautiful what he can do. Yeah. Um, I, I think there's nothing, things. yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with uh, that. I mean, his Neil Adams-esque kind of art was, was very beautiful as well. Very well drawn. You can tell that he obviously knows what he's doing with the pen um but yeah what i found interesting with that that run that you were mentioning with the covers it was during such a compact period of time that you actually see the development of him coming into his own and his own style it's really quite remarkable um what he did and you'd have to put that down to i guess him willing to just just really flesh out and try stuff like straight away he, he was you could argue he was conservative at the beginning, but it wasn't long before he actually tried to start to use different methods, um, mm-hmm. use different strokes as well. And yeah, he's highly regarded as uh, yeah one of the, the one of the great artists. It's uh, it's a real blessing to actually have him on the Moon Knight run because that art as well, I think, uh, has really kind of molded the the world and, and the tone of Moon Knight as much as Mensch's writing. Um, so they were like like a perfect a perfect pairing when it came to creating that 1980 uh, run. And if you put that run in context with other comics around that time as well, vastly different, you, you know, oh, yeah, um, it, as, as it kind of went past, say, issue 15 onwards. Um, yeah. And it really influenced, I mean, if you look at someone, and I, I don't think this is, you know, again, I'm probably person number one million to notice this, but you look at how... I, I feel like Sienkiewicz influenced someone like Dennis Cowan, who was working with um, Denny O'Neill on the question. You know, it had that same. It, obviously, it wasn't the same, but it had a feel like you know they're 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 stretching their legs, they're they're pushing the boundaries a little bit with what you can do with yeah. you know sequential storytelling and, and comic art. It's yeah, it's just amazing because you're right. It was such a compact period. You know, he goes. You're like, hey, this is a really good, nice cover, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of like Neil Adams, which just makes sense because he came out of that studio, yes. right? And boom, you jump to some of the later, and it's it's so different. I mean, obviously the, the fundamentals are there, but then he's he's doing some really amazing things. Uh, mm. I, I, think I seem to remember a cover with what was it, Werewolf? There's a, there's a wolf cover, I think. It's been yeah, a while the black the black one. Is it? I think so. Yeah. 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 
yeah, really, really good stuff. Um, and I think he he treads that that line between comic book artist and just like visual artist. His art kind of looks like that. It looks like it should be hanging somewhere in in a gallery. Yeah, that's what yeah. a lot of his latest <laughs> stuff as well. I get his um his newsletter. And uh, he's got his stuff for sale as well, and and of course he's just progressed even further, uh, more realistic. But it's it's got that very kind of arty, for want of a better word, I'm not very good at <laughs> at it, but a very arty kind of look to it. Um, so steering away from even a comic book looking uh, visual. So yeah. Well, and then I think I, I I was more exposed to him during the uh, the uh, Electra. Oh, okay. Electra, Electra, not Electra lives again. Uh, just the Electra series mm-hmm. the, that Miller. I, I went through a Miller phase. Everybody goes through a Miller phase, right? That's <laughs> where I tried to get everything he did, and it was just—it's so unlike anything else. He really did find his own, you know, unique voice, which is is amazing. And it started on uh, Moon Knight. Yeah, no, it was fantastic. Um, that's great. So um, I hope I can uh, entice you to, to read more Warren Ellis uh, Moon Knight stuff. I mean, get the issues. Look, they are all standalone. There is actually a little bit of a thread that runs through them, but um, don't hesitate if you've just got bits and pieces of them. I reckon you can just read um, cool. each and every one of them. Um, they're very quick. You'll be surprised how economical Ellis is with them. Um, but they are, I think, they're master strokes. Again, a nice partnership with Declan Shelby, who you've probably seen... <laughs> banding about his his wares in marvel um but yeah really really good stuff indeed um i think before we head off will i'm just i was just pulling up your your rank outsiders so the 16 comics i wanted to go through this before we get into the nitty-gritty and the the main uh the main big four that you take to the desert island so i was just pulling this this up now a few of them i do recognize so loonies these are i'd i'd I mean, these are these made your top twenty, will so they're um, they're highly recommended. I'd say, yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. I enjoyed. Well, and I put them in alphabetical order because I didn't really, I, I didn't. I was like, I'm you not going to give any. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, but there, yeah, there are some. A lot of them, I feel like, and I, I even asked the boys. I was like, because I've, I've indoctrinated them, you know, young mm. uh, to comics and. You know, I kind of like, well, what are some issues that you've, you know, run across? And they're like, yeah, I thought of those. Thanks, guys. I've, I've uh, raised you well. I did, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Correct answer was from here. He should have said it. Well, let's just go through these. Um, and, yeah, if you can, maybe, uh, we're not going to get too too in-depth with them, of course, but uh, maybe what made them special for you? So the first one, uh, this is yeah in alphabetical order, All-Star Superman number 10. My gosh, never-ending. This is a monumental issue. I just read this, re- reread this recently for our other podcast, the Superman podcast. But yeah, why, why was this one a, a big one for you? It all comes down to that panel, yep. you know, where he prevents the suicide, which is just oh, okay. amazing. Yep. yep. And, and he... Because I went back and reread it, and it was something I taught as well. There were I had a I had a one student who's like Superman is just stupid, is lame, mm-hmm. and I said, look, try to keep an open mind, you know, read this. And he was like, oh my god, this is awesome! <laughs> Superman's maybe not so lame, and I'm like, yeah. see, <laughs> trust me. But uh, looking back, I, I also did a you know rereading the issue and then 
looking back and uh, seeing how that panel was set up throughout the issue. I mean, Morrison is a phenomenal writer. Uh, yes, and he is. This, this issue is. And then the art by Frank Whiteley is yes. it's, an ama- it's an amazing book. I mean, it's, that whole run is amazing, it but is. this is, I think, a standout issue. Yeah, every single one of them so far. Uh, I've read them a, a while ago, but we're going through it now. We've got up to issue 10, so we're doing 11, 12 in our next episode. But every one of them so far has just been out of the park. Morrison is a, a magnificent writer. Um, uh, this is the most accessible for him as well, because he can write, he can get a little... Um, dense and a little over there over the top <laughs> um uh, like ideas going <laughs> over the top of your head i mean uh but yeah a fantastic one right, we've got here avengers 223 of robin hoods and roustabouts um that is the best cover that marvel has ever produced it is ant-man oh and that's Hawkeye. ant-man and oh, ah, the, the circus <laughs> yeah yeah with taskmaster of course absolutely which is just a, such a fun issue uh a one know, and done guys, really yeah yeah it's yeah. really a one and done with uh, and then uh Scott Lang's daughter Cassie, you know, is in there, and it's just mm-hmm. it's just it's a great issue. And that cover, that cover's brilliant. Ant Man on, you know, the arrow from Hot as that is the that is Marvel's greatest cover in yeah. my opinion. <laughs> I, I would <laughs> agree as well. I've got it um, hanging on my wall as well. Uh, also, as well, it shows it really shows Ant Man's I think power really well, uh, and how how actually. Um, how dangerous he can be. Uh, so I really do love that issue. Um, Avengers 285 was the other one, the uh, the Wrath of Zeus. Now you got me. He got me here on Zeus. So this has got to be good. So that's the final issue of the Assault on Olympus. Ah, okay, uh, right. So Hercules was injured in the uh, mansion siege. You know, the Masters of Evil taking over the mansion, which is Stern's other great epic on the Avengers. And Zeus, he raved because he's injured. He raves in his sleep at the Avengers, and he's. He doesn't like taking orders from the Wasp, so he's, you know... So Zeus basically kidnaps the Avengers and throws them in Hades. Well, they fight their way out. Um, He smacks them down, they get back up, he smacks them down again. And the first page of this issue has uh, normal human Dane Whitman, right? He's a scientist with a magic sword, which is awesome. (laughs) A scientist with a magic sword, and he's holding Cap's shield. He's like one of the last Avengers standing, and he's like... Standing up to Zeus, the, the king That's of the awesome. gods, right? Yeah, which is awesome. I just, well, he can't he can't be killed with the ebony sword, right? That's the whole thing, isn't it? Or I, I mean, not to take anything away from that uh, amazing visual, but yeah, that's a. I think it, it was when at the time that it had the curse on it. So if he cut anybody with it, he would go insane or something. I can't uh, remember okay. the because you're right. The the enchantments on the sword have changed over time, yeah. but uh, it's just such a great bit. John Buscema and Tom Palmer, oh, the artist, spectacular, Buscema's... and of course it's Roger Stern. Yeah, oh yes, I know that you're a big Roger Stern <laughs> fan as well. Uh, now this is, uh, we're going street level here, Daredevil 191 Roulette. This rings a bell? Uh, this is uh, the end of kind of Miller's run, uh, oh. where he's, uh, Bullseye's killed Electra. He's been, you know, had his back broken, he's in a full body cast, laying in the bed, and Daredevil's there with a revolver. Ah, yes, and, that's the one, yep. And he's te- he tells him a story, but ever so often he punctuates that with the Russian Roulette. Mm-hmm. And he clicks it, and I'm not going to ruin the story for people who haven't read it, but it is, that is it's a kind of issue. a tour de force. It yeah. is really, and it's probably on craft level, you know, one of those those best stories ever, single issues ever published. Yeah, oh, I, I, yeah. Again, I, I, I can't argue with that. That's a that's a good one. I this is the thing. There are so many comics out there, so many singles exactly. out there, <laughs> but that's right on point. Um, 
Fantastic. This is one I thought maybe would have been a um, one that you wouldn't. You mentioned you know there's one or two there that you would not think would be in there. Is this one? Am I getting this right? Fantastic Four three five two. No, no time like the present, or it ain't funny, uh, or or it ain't funny how time slips away. That is a brilliant uh, battle between Mr. Fantastic and Doctor Doom by Walter Simonson. Oh, okay. Uh, and they have little time travel devices. So Doom has captured the Fantastic Four. Mr. Fantastic's captured. But then he shows up a, a little bit later to fight Doom. Well, Doom says, here, we're going to fight. Gives him a little time travel. Well, the first thing he does is go free himself so that he could be there to fight Doom. And then it just gets crazy. <laughs> wow. I mean, it's, it's such an awesome... And Simonson, I, I, I think fanboy is probably too uh, weak a word. I just love Walter Simonson's work. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the breadth and depth of his work is just amazing. Well, maybe Phil is not too far from the, the truth than from his predictions. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Um, anyway, Green Lantern Rebirth, number six, Brightest Day. So I'd, I'm not too clued in on DC here, so Will, you're going to have to uh, let me uh, yeah fill me in on this. So I, I was, I've been a Hal Jordan fan since I was probably in, you know, since I've only, since I was on the planet in single digits of years, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, say that I was disappointed probably with the whole how Jordan goes crazy and murders everybody is, is probably, might be an understatement. Um, but is that regarded as a, as a, a, a big, a great event, right? Is yeah. It, yeah, and, okay. yeah. It, well, I mean, it was part of the whole reign of the Superman, you yeah. know, when Superman got killed. So uh, him going crazy, I mean, he was the character, he was a, a test pilot. He was this, he was such a, I guess, a product of the 60s, right? You know, he was this test pilot in you know science, science, sci-fi kind of type job, and he was a you know a, a cosmic kind of cop. Mm. And rebirth is what brought him back. You know, he was so he wasn't responsible for all the deaths and everything. He was possessed, blah blah blah. But uh, there's a scene in it where Parallax, the entity Parallax, you know, is you know basically tells him to you know to quit. And he goes, yeah, I don't know how. <laughs> and he and the rest of the core come back together, and it just sets up everything that Jeff Johns was going to do in in that really amazing Green Lantern run. But but that that single panel has stayed with me. You know, I nice. just I, I love that issue. It's it, it's such a great read. I've got the absolute version of it somewhere on the back here in the library. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's great. Yeah, the Green Lantern always intrigues me as well from DC. I, I reckon, I think I was telling Phil just the other day, um, I, we, don't, we, we can't access DC Universe, but if they had something like Marvel Unlimited, I would be mm-hmm. plundering Green Lantern, you know, Wonder I, Woman, Splash. I think they're all great. Oh, yeah, they're, they're those really iconic archetype characters which you know i'm sure are fun to play with but uh grant morrison's recent yes. run on green lantern is spectacular is it, is as well it? okay yeah i've got to get into that as well um this one i recognize hawkeye 11 pizza is my business this sounds like a matt fraction one <laughs> yep yep pizza um, dog pizza dog and and is this, the, is... is this a silent one the the silent the dog kind of kind yeah. of silent yeah, 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 so, yeah. You know, every so often you'll have some words and it's just brilliant. That is okay. A, that's really good. It's a brilliant single issue, and it's 
I don't think Fraction could have pulled it off without someone as awesome as David Audrey doing mm. the art because he has such a design sense with these kind of this infographic approach to doing certain things and it's I just such a art. yeah yeah I I uh, I I may offend some people but I've never been a fan of Iron Fist but the Fraction Brubaker run of Iron Fist mm. is just awesome it, it really is, is. it is <laughs> yeah yeah I'm a big fan of Brubaker as well I think he's he's fantastic um. Kurt Busiek's Astro City Half. This is I'm not. This I'm not familiar with. The nearness of you. Is this? Um... It's uh, so back in the day, Wizard used to put out these one half issues. You know, they would bundle with the the magazine, Wizard magazine. Uh, this is one of them. It's like a eight or ten page story. Uh, it's actually free on Comicsology if you oh, okay. log into Comicsology. But uh, the thing about Astro City is the approach that that he takes in that. And it's by Busick and Brent Anderson, I think, did the art. Uh, giant mega crossover crisis in time. All the heroes meet. Time has changed forever. Blah, blah, blah. Well, yeah. that's the background. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's just off in the background. You don't have to worry about it. Uh, a man, the story is basically a man who dreams of a woman. And he can't get this woman. He's never met her. He doesn't know who she is, but he can't get her out of his head. Yeah. Well, it turns out that, and this the Hanged Man is is his kind of creepy mystical character that comes around. He comes around and says, "Well, she was your wife, but there was this big conflagration back in the '40s that changed time, so she was never born." And I'm going around letting people know that I can get rid of these memories, or you can keep them. And the guy asks, essentially, you know, how many people have asked to get rid of them? He says, "None." So That's it's just cool. this great. If if you can read this issue and not cry, you have no soul. Okay, it's just so awesome. <laughs> I'm gonna have to pick it up. As you said, it's free of free off Comicsology, so that should be easy enough to access. Okay, cool. The the nearness of you. Um, okay, so we've got here uh, Marvel team up one two three, burn heroes burn. Uh, is this a is this a thing or a Spidey team up? Spidey team up. It's a Daredevil. Daredevil. Oh, okay. And this is one of the. This is probably the issue that I was talking most about that nobody's going to put on their best of. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's just a good solid little team. It's Marvel team up. Okay, I mean <laughs> that's that's like is this, tertiary it, level. <laughs> is this like in the eighties? I guess one issue one yeah. two three. Yep, eighties. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, there's a uh, there's a former hitman who's retired, trying to go straight and you know live a good life to make up for what he's done. He's in a hospital. There's a kid in the hospital. Yeah. And then, uh, what's the, I can never remember the villain's name. He's a heat villain. Uh, anyway, Spidey and Daredevil show up. Daredevil's there in the guise of Matt Murdock to talk to this guy because he's going to turn state's evidence and help people. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, they haven't mentioned that, you know, look, I've got a lot of metaphorical blood on my hands, right? Well, the bad guy's there to kill this guy so he can't testify and, and do that. Well, he gets scared, so he grabs this kid who's in there for surgery. And Daredevil's trying to talk him down, say, look, it's going to be okay. We're going to take care of this. You know, he's, but he's afraid. And to save the child, Daredevil says, but you don't want any more blood on your hands. Look. And since the kid had just been in surgery, he actually has blood on his hands because he grabbed the kid, right? So the, the hitman has, he sees the blood and it destroys him. Oh. You know, and at the end, you know, 
fight. He says, hey, we won. You know, why so somber? And Daredevil's like, you know, what good is winning if it costs a man his soul? Yeah. And it's just one of those little, it's one of those issues that has just stayed with me. I mean, because it's, it's just so well done. I mean, it's, it's not going to win any awards, but it's just, it stuck with me. So it do, had to be on the list at least. Do you remember who wrote that one? Or? Um, no, but I can look it up in a minute. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, no, no worries. Yeah, we'll we'll have it in in the show notes as well for sure. Because um, I'm keen to actually. That sounds. Yeah, I love those. The, the '80s. I think is very close to being my favorite era. Um, I do like that. There was just so much stuff going on. Yeah. Uh, I mean, early '80s, you get uh, Perez and Wolfman on the, the Teen Titans. You get you know Claremont on the X Men with the you know, a bevy of amazing artists, yeah. uh, Stern on the Avengers, and, you know, Daredevil and si- uh, by Miller and Simonson. John Byrne was doing probably Fantastic Four at that time. I mean, yeah. it's just this great period yeah. of, of, of really time good, for comics. Really good talent, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is one that you mentioned earlier, Planetary, uh, Warren Ellis. So Planetary number 10, Magic and Loss. Um so, Planetary is just this amazing series. Uh, John Casty is the artist for the entire series. Uh, I know him from the Captain America run, yeah. And I think Laura Martin, I, I think it was, she may have been Martin at the time. I think she got married at some point, but uh, she does the colors, and she's, uh, I think she's been, you know, lovingly referred to as a color witch just because she's so amazing that she does. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, this issue is because uh, Ellis likes to play with those archetypes, and he gets to do that inside Planetary, which is you know looking at what makes these characters cool. Mm. Well, he has a Wonder Woman character, he has a Superman character, and he has a Green Lantern character, yeah. and the villains of Planetary uh, basically keep them from ever happening or becoming you know in the world of Planetary. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's just it's magic and loss. I mean, it's that's yeah. I haven't read Planetary, um, but uh, you know, I do like Ellis's writing, so I have heard a lot about Planetary as well. So um, should be something worth checking out. And there's another one here. It seems like to be a crossover between Planetary and that <clears throat> uh, man, <laughs> Night on Earth number one, Night on Earth. Yeah, it's uh, it's always having a, a go at the different Batmans. So, so um, planet, there's this, there's apparently a Gotham City in the world of Planetary, and then this one long story. There's this survivor that when he gets uh, you know scared or frightened or anything, he kind of shifts reality. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, these people have died horrible deaths because they've been shifted mid-reality or something. So Planetary is there to investigate. That's what they do. They 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 uh, you know, try to look find the strange things in the world and keep the world strange. Yeah. Um, so they investigate him, and they're investigating in Crime Alley. So Batman shows up. Well, you get the Englehart and Rogers Batman from the seventies. Mm-hmm. You get Frank Miller's hulking Dark Knight Batman. You don't get you know, the Kelly. Again. Don't get the Kelly Jones <laughs> one with the big ears. 
No, you don't get him yet, uh, but you get uh, the 60s TV Batman. Oh, okay, cool. And there's a great thing where he goes, it looks like a, what is that? I can't remember the quote, but it's, it's, it's great because you get these different takes on Batman, and it's funny. And, but then it's funny, and then it's not, mm. because it jumps to this point where this, this guy is a survivor. His parents have been killed in this kind of sci-fi death camp where they were experimented on. And uh, at the end of the issue, you get uh, what can only be called the Ellis Cassidy Batman. You know, they've never worked on the character except here. Mm-hmm. But he, he comes in and he's, he you know, says, look, he, he basically talks. It shows Batman as the compassionate, uh, you know, human character who's like, you know, this guy's lost his parents. That's Batman's whole reason for existing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he calms him down and says, you know, look, you you have to, you know, think about them. And and so he helps calm him down. And uh, it's just this really great issue that pays a lot of respect and some humor to the previous iterations of Batman. And then it ends on this really, you know, kind of hopeful and uplifting note. And it's it's just a great issue. And it's got great art, too. Is it so? Is that a one shot? No. Yeah, yeah, it's a one shot. Yeah, cool. Um, now this other one, next one, this one always pops up in people's Isla Ra's as well. Uh, not necessarily this issue, but Sandman number eight, the sound of the wings. Now this again sounds very familiar. It may well have been someone's Isla Ra book as well. Um, but this one is this the one to do with with death? No. Yes. Oh, it is. Uh, first... yeah. Yes, the first appearance. Yeah. Yeah. And it's... Okay. I, so, Gaiman really kind of was, I mean, he's a spectacular writer, not just comics, novels, yeah, uh, American Gods is phenomenal, Neverwhere, I mean, all, all of his books are, are great, but uh, it's where he, the first seven issues of Sandman were really kind of structured around looking at different types of horror, okay, and the over, overreaching arc was Dream, Morpheus getting back his special things, you know, his sand pouch, his mm-hmm. helm, and a few other things. But number eight is really where I think Sandman became the book that it was going to be for the next, you know, 67 issues or whatever. Because it's it's really about him being depressed now that, you know, he solved his problems and, you know, he's bored. And he walks around with death as she performs her duties. And, you know, there's a great line in there where, you know, this baby, she's taking yeah. a baby, a baby's dying, and the baby's like, you know, that's it, that's all I get. And she goes, you get what everybody gets, you get a lifetime. And, yeah. I mean, it's just so... Oh, that's such a big scene, it's... I know. And, and all, the, all <laughs> yeah. the other people she visits as well, it's just this... Oh, yeah, it is a... Um... It is heavy, but at the same time, it's quite an emotional um, kind of. Yeah, it's just it's such a great, great issue, yeah. um, and I think the I can't remember the artist on that. Was that Kelly Jones or was that? Oh, um, could could be not Sam, Sam Keith. Keith. Could could be Sam. Can't Keith. Yeah, I'd have to I'd have to look that one up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, another one here that I'm very familiar with, the Superman Annual 11 for the man who has everything, Alan Moore, uh, yep. and one of my favourite villains, Dave Gibbons, and one of my favourite villains, Mongol. That's right. <laughs> so, of course, um, uh, this is, again, 
generally seen as I, I think one of the higher, uh, more popular Superman t- um, titles. Yeah, Moore is just. I mean, he's a genius. Uh, just what he did on Swamp Thing, what he did. I mean, Jeff Johns built most of his Green Lantern run around an eight-page story that Alan Moore did in Green Lantern. Mm. You know, I mean, it's uh, it's he's he's just that good. Um, and this story in particular, I mean, kind of gets at the heart of what Superman is. It's got Batman and Robin, Dick Grayson, Robin, and Wonder Woman in it, and then of course Mongol. And then it's the uh, oh, what's the uh, the Merc- Black Mercy is the Black plant, Mercy, the plant, yeah, 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 that attaches itself to his chest, and he lives on a Krypton that never exploded, and has to fight his way mm. back to reality, which is it's just such a great story. And he has um, to leave his son as well, which yeah, um, yeah it's a very like that scene where the son's really scared, doesn't know what's happening. Like, what, what are you taking me, Dad? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> um, but he knows it's all kind of a figment. Um, mm-hmm. Kal El, uh, you mentioned his Swamp Thing number forty. I'm assuming is this an Alan Moore as well? The Curse. Yep, yep. another Alan Moore story. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's the werewolf story where mm-hmm. you got me intrigued he, now. <laughs> he uh, he basically. It's just an amazing story, but he he equates uh, lycanthropy and werewolf to uh, you know women's cycles and how we as society kind of look at those you know this is male dominated. Yeah. So yeah. it's just such a and it's done from that horror standpoint that you know Swamp Thing that you know, because he he really he put Swamp Thing. I mean Swamp Thing was. You look back at the original run, you know, Bernie Wrightson did the art, so it was already on the map, but mm-hmm. but more put Swamp Thing on the map as this, you know, super intelligent book with awesome art that could be really about anything. It was, it's an amazing issue. And I, the, the, his first issue on it's, uh, I think, called The Anatomy Lesson, and it's, it's great, too. It's but one. this yeah. one was the one that I remembered. Nice. Uh, and we've got a last couple here to wrap up your um, your rank outsiders. Uh, so we've got a Thor here, Thor three forty two. Um, I'm assuming that is that around the, the Walt Simonson era. That's another yeah. Walt. I am such a fanboy. <laughs> so, uh, the last Viking. This is, yeah, yeah. This is the last Viking story where you know there's one one Viking left who's praying to Thor. Thor hears it and it's just an amazing story because it it, it delves into something that. You know, Thor is a god, you know, or what, what does that mean even, you know, and and the last Viking wanting a true Viking death, so he tries, it's, it's just a great story. I, I love those, <laughs> I love those stories, yeah, that just has that kind of really soul concept, and, and it's all mm-hmm. built around that, and you can kind of get really introspective, um, so yeah, fantastic. Uh, and finally, he, uh, this one I'm not familiar with, the Tom Strong, number three, is that DC or uh, Aztec yeah, that's Knights? A- yeah, yeah, it's uh, ABC, uh, America's Best Comics, which okay. was through Wildstorm, which then was bought by DC. So, yeah, it's Alan Moore's America's Best Comics. Okay. Um, Tom Strong's, I think Moore felt a, a certain level of guilt slash responsibility for the the grim and grittiness that kind of infected in all of comics after Watchmen. Mm-hmm. Um so ABC was to not. I, I feel like its core concept was to not do that. Was to do 
you know, just comics about heroes that are doing the right thing for the right reason, right? Mm -hmm. And this issue of Tom Strong, well, first off, it has spectacular art by Chris Sprouse. I mean, it's just amazing. Uh, He is an amazing artist. But uh, it's a story that illustrates the prisoner's dilemma. You know, which from the the prisoner's dilemma is, you know, let's say you get captured by the police and, and... they say, I'll let you out if you turn on him. And then they're saying oh, the same thing to Okay, right. And trust is best. Yeah. Because both people win if you trust each other not to, yeah. you know, flip or whatever. And he illustrates that in a story where he's taken to uh, another alternate earth where they have Aztec gods, serpent gods. And it's just, it's this, it's this really clever beautiful story uh, about you know, trust is best that's cool <laughs> oh, yeah, that's awesome um, yeah so loonies they're a mighty mighty selection there um, I might add these in the show notes as well um, but we have four huge books to to yeah, those reveal are the books that didn't make it <laughs> <laughs> the books that didn't make it as rank outsiders no these are the top these are the heavy four um so no fantastic I'll, I'll put those in the show notes go check it out loonies if you um a really great great run through there will of uh, those 16 books um yeah fantastic i mean i'm glad i i knew um a few of them so um i, I must be on the right page you know you know what i mean <laughs> going doing the right thing uh anyway so have you finished your um your cold pressed uh, swiss a glass of water with the with the drop of oh. tangerine oh. and <laughs> that was, i have another drink <laughs> okay, okay because if you're ready um we might whisk ourselves off we'll take a, a little short break loonies um will and i are going to whisk off in the moon copter we're going to go away to our first location but Hang on, Will. Why don't, why don't you follow me? Okay. Uh, okay, yeah, we'll just go through this door. Uh, so as we make our way down down the corridor to the outside where the moon copter is, well, you can see over on your left there, that's the uh, that's the, the bedroom for, for Mark Spector and Marlene. Uh, they do have a jacuzzi in there. I'm not lying. Um, and there's a... <laughs> is she decent? Oh, hop. Hi, Mylene. How are you? Yeah, we're just. This is Will. Hello. Yeah, we're just going to pop out. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, cool. All right. Well, have you got your have you got your coat with you, Will? Uh, yes, I get that on. Because it's a little it's chilly. Good. It's a little chilly up there. The the helicopter doesn't have any doors. Uh, it's one of those ones. Uh, okay. <laughs> anyway, listeners, we'll be right back, and we'll go through uh, Will's top four Tesalon books. Catch you soon. Hey everyone, this is Brian, the host of Inner Demons, the Ghost Rider podcast. And since 2017, Inner Demons has been the best place on the web for news, reviews, and regular discussion with our listeners about Marvel's Spirit of Vengeance, Ghost Rider. You can find us on Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and many other podcast catchers, as well as on Twitter, at InnerDemonsGR. Remember, listening to your Inner Demons is not always a bad thing. Right on. Hey 
Yes, loonies, welcome back. You are listening to Into the Night, the Moon Knight podcast. This is episode 159. I am with Will Allred, uh, one of the co-hosts from the Quantum Zone, a Quasar podcast. We've had a good old-fashioned chat at Grant Mansion. Uh, as you can hear now, it's a little bit more, uh, there's a little bit more reverb uh, around us. We are in none other than Latveria. I know why that will be revealed to you shortly. So we're in Castle Von Doom. Uh, you know, well there, there's the stone walls. Uh, there are some rich banners hanging from the walls there uh, and some sort of Latverian music coming from someone's stereo maybe Victor's, I don't know. Anyway, we are here to review, uh, we'll go through your rank fourth, your number four for your top four Desert Island books. And uh, the first one can be revealed as, I'm happy to say Phil got this kind of semi right, it is Thor 362. Um, So, uh, Will, this one is, sorry, let me just open up the, my information here. Bat out of bat out of hell, is that right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, Walt Simonson. So why why take us through? Why did you choose this issue? It was a ripper of a read. I had not read it before. I, I gave, and it actually piqued my interest because there are a couple of other touchstone references to the movie, <laughs> which I found fantastic. Yeah. But anyway, um, why was this one a special one for you? Well, I am a diehard, long-term life lifer uh, Avengers fan. I love the Avengers and. I had a subscription back in the day, uh, so that was way back in the day. Uh, but uh, the uh, the executioner has always been associated with the Avengers. You know, he he's basically a toady of the uh, Enchantress, and would fight the Avengers, fight Thor, uh, kind of a really one-dimensional character. And Walter Simonson changed all that. Uh, he wrote him as a bit more three-dimensional and this is that issue where he sacrifices himself to save the souls of the humans that you know part of the cast of ancient winter storyline from before that saved not only the humans but uh the host from uh valhalla and thor save them so that they can get back to asgard as they leave hell and uh it's just the way he simonson wrote and illustrated that scene where uh you know you see him start to fade yeah i was about to say yeah that's absolutely (laughs) brilliant that that visual because he um yeah walt simonson uh sorry i'll just jump in uh released december 1985 walt simonson writer penciler inker he does it all. Colorist Max Skeel, uh, letterer John Workman, and editor Ralph Macchio. But yeah, that's that image of uh, Scourge or the Executioner just fading out with those, I think, what, the eight panels or something? Um, yeah. Really effective stuff. Um, and I found also, Will, I don't know about you, it's, it's going to be a bit hard to explain, but when I read this, there was like a, to me, like a, a, a seriousness to to the story that you don't typically get with with comic books regardless of it being thor or even a more like more serious title uh it seemed like there were things really at stake here and and it seemed like i know it sounds silly but all the characters were really focused on actually having to get out um and yeah and it's funny because you know as long as you play it straight i think simonson says at some point you know you can do something like this or you can turn Thor into a frog, you know, so it's, 
Yeah. Uh, but, but this issue, I mean, and that scene with the executioner sacrificing himself, and then the words that go along with those panels. Mm, yeah. Because, you know, they talk about, you know, the, that uh, he is spoken of in hushed whispers, even in hell, about, you know, what he was able to do. And, you know, that scene with him, which they did in the movie. Yes. Um, with two M16s, you know, just fighting off the hordes of hell so that, you know, Thor and everyone from Asgard plus the human souls that they've saved can, you know, get back to Asgard. It's just, yeah. it's very poignant. I mean, it's just such a great issue that I could not include this one. Mm. It was, yeah, really good. I actually had to go back and I watched on YouTube that scene again with Carl Urban. Um, uh, both, both the funny introduction of Des and Troy, the, the two yeah. guns, but also that, that bit at the end where he does sacrifice himself and he leaps off that carrier and just starts shooting the hordes. Um, because, yeah, I was just so affected by reading this and like going, oh, wow, this is, this is, this is it. This is where they lifted it from. Uh, yeah. But there was so much at stake here, similar to, to the movie, I guess. Um, so with, with Thor here, uh, so he he had been burnt by Hela, had he? Because he's got a different visage. He's got a, a, a face mask. Maybe COVID-19 was around, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> and he had some armour. So, yeah, it uh, this sets up a lot of what came after for Thor uh, because Hela curses him. Mm-hmm. And this actually plays into that Avengers 285 issue because he's wearing his new armour because... She curses him by making sure that he can't die. So he's immortal, which takes away his core identity. You know, he yeah. can't risk his life because there's no risk. So nah, that's right, not right. what a Viking does, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you, there has to be some risk. The other thing that she does is curse him with brittle bones. So that oh. that's why he has to wear the armor. Oh, he, wow. He puts the armor on, he grows the beard yeah. to cover the scars. And it's like Mr. Uh, he tries, yeah, he tries to he tries to get out from under that curse, which we find out that there are it was kind of all set up and there are machinations in the background of who set it up and why he had to go through all this. And how he finally gets the curse lifted involves the destroyer and hell and, and the executioner and it's uh it's a really good issue too, uh, but yeah. uh, this this one is uh, this one sets a lot of that stuff up because you know the big story was Searcher from when Simonson took over with Beta Ray Bill and all that stuff. But this is this series was just so consistently great mm. that um, I just love it. Uh, yeah, got the omnibus, got the artist edition. Nice. Got, I've got. <laughs> trade I've got the hard cut I've got so many versions of this story <laughs> oh that's testament to, to, to really really do liking the um, the, the story um, I'm, I'm waiting for I'm waiting for I can't remember if on the epic collections I collect them whether the Simonson era has uh, been collected it I think there's one coming out with the Thor core um, a bit later on which I believe I think is around Beta Ray Bill I'm not too sure. Um, it is, but I think that that's uh, Tom DeFalco, Ron Friends. Oh, is it? Okay. Kind of came on, okay. I think, after Simon's run. So okay. his his ends with, I think the issue is like 383, 382, somewhere in oh, there. It must be 382, because I've got 383, and he's not okay. there anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think 382 is like that all splash issue. Every page is a splash oh, page. Oh, wow. Uh, it's, 
So yeah, I mean, it's pretty awesome. That's great. Awesome. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, again, I highly recommend it to listeners. Uh, Walt Simonson, he is he does great stuff with Thor and the Fantastic Four run. Um, again, I'm going to shout out the, the Epic Collection into the time stream, which uh, shows part of the run uh, of that. Uh, really does such a different tone in this in this comic, I think, is really, uh, really uh, makes it stand out from, from the ones I've read it, from your, your pick, actually, anyway, so... Um, very interesting indeed. Uh, all right, well, we have your rank three book here. Uh, oh, and, uh, oh, hello, uh, Dr. Doom. Uh, yes, Will, hi, we are, yes, we are in the castle here. Victor, this is, this is Will. Will, this is the, the good doctor, Dr. Doom. Your Majesty. <laughs> Stop embarrassing yourself. Uh, uh, I was wondering, Victor, can I call you Victor? Um, would you uh, would you like to introduce Will's rank third book? Such chores are what people like you are for. No, okay, that's fine. I'm happy happy to do it myself. Okay, thank you, thank you, Doctor. Uh, we won't disturb you. Uh, hopefully, we'll be uh, we'll, we'll just touch base with some of the Doombots instead. Um, but anyway, uh, Will, number three here. The reason why we are in Castle Von Doom. This is a big one. I love this one. Um, your ranked third book here is Doctor Strange, Doctor Doom, Triumph and Torment. Now, this, I believe, is a Roger Stern uh, written graphic novel. Mm-hmm. So on Wiki, this comes up as a Marvel graphic novel number 49. So this came out just as a graphic novel. Um, Roger Stern writing, penciler Mike Mignola. Uh, Inca, Mark Badger, and he does the colours as well, and letterer Jim Novak, and this was out in July 1989. So this is a cracker of a read here, Will. Um, I know why you probably like it, but why don't you elaborate to our fair listeners why you thought this one was a good one in the top four? Well, it um, one, it was a bit of a cheat, so uh, <laughs> I wanted to make sure I could get as many pages as possible on my four books, but... Uh, Accepting that, it's it really is just an amazing story. You get uh, you get these really great insights into both characters. You get their origins told as part of the story. Um, it's got wonderful art by Mike Mignola, and then Roger Stern has just told this story that, um, while great for it's it's a really great kind of study of. of uh, of Doctor Strange, it is a doom story mm. first and foremost, and how driven and intelligent and yes, absolutely just amazing the good Doctor is. Well, he you know? he, he outsmarts <laughs> the devil, like which is no mean feat, and and I like I didn't see it coming, like because it, it's so, uh, I guess what is it? It's so underhanded that it's. It's kind of, he manipulated the way um, that he would use his mum and and seemingly to have her put in peril, but in effect he actually uh, redeemed, like she's redeemed um, through his action. Mm-hmm. Uh, a really good read here. It was really fun because at the beginning um, I'd forgotten about the, because this is a graphic novel, it's quite, it's quite long compared to a, a typical comic, but there's that story to begin with with the Vishanti, um, which I found interesting about the the, the competition uh, and that almost comical 
like ancient ancient one. I can't remember his name. Yeah. Uh, so ancient Genghis, I think. Is ancient what Genghis. Saying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you introduce to him first, and and he's kind of he sets the tone. Uh, he draws you in. His introduction to the story because he comes across Doctor Doom and Doctor Strange. Uh, they both have different interactions with him. Uh, you know. Um, <laughs> relevant to their character uh, but it ends up being a, a competition to who who is the supreme sorcerer supreme um, and I remember first reading this going okay I'm wondering where this is going and then it kind of flips because uh, Doom basically employs uh, Doctor Strange to help him on, on his quest and then, then you get that main thing with Mephisto which is fantastic um, and yeah. Mignola I mean a lot of readers who are probably into Hellboy wouldn't recognize this early Mignola art as well. It's not your typical Mignola art. Yeah, it's it's early. It's before, mm. you know pre-Hellboy, so he doesn't. It's not as that's not as big a stark contrast of what he you know he was, is, becomes known for you know on, on yeah. Hellboy. I mean, you can see kind of the beginnings of it because he's still Mike Mignola. And he's still the way he uses black and shadow is still yes, amazing. Yes, that's say, yeah. yeah. Oh, but he, he, he amps it up to the next level with Hellboy. And the, the light exactly. and shade is just brilliant there. Uh, not to say that this was not good, it was great, but it was very different from what he's later to become. And to be honest, I'd forgotten, because I read this again uh, in preparation for this, and I'd forgotten about the, the whole tournament. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, and I'm sure, wow, I don't remember this, but you know, it's, it's good. Yeah. Uh, but There's just even this Cockney, I think a Cockney, or maybe, dare I say, an Aussie female <laughs> magician. Um, it's like, oh, what's happening here? What's going on? <laughs> it's like really funny. Um, but yeah, it's, it was just, because I remember, oh, wow, I probably first read this not too long after it came out, and it just kind of blew me away. It was, it was like, one made me like and understand and even sympathize with Dr. Doom, you know, because his mother is, you know, basically being tortured in hell. Yeah. And every year he tries to save her. Every year he fails. Mm-hmm. And now this year he has a, the boon that must be granted by the Sorcerer Supreme. Yes. Have Dr. Strange with him. And, you know, Strange, I, I feel... And I think Stern did this on purpose, and he did it masterfully. You know, we're supposed to feel about Doom the way Strange does. Because at first he's like, you know, no, I'm not going to help you take over the world. He's like, I can do that by myself. I need you for something specific. And, and, you know, Doctor Strange, his attitude toward Doom throughout the story changes to such that, you know, we really, he feels sympathetic toward him. Mm. and, And, you know, because, you know, the, the the book is named after you know the triumph and, the, and triumph and torment. Because for him to triumph, he has to endure the torment of having his mother denounce him. You know, as yeah. and that's that's a price he's willing to pay. So this doom is if there is a price for what he wants. He's all about paying it every time. Exactly. (laughs) And there's something to admire about that willingness to to self-sacrifice for for the good. I mean, it's true he does go the other way and maybe sacrifice others for the the good that he feels is good, which is not uh, as admirable. But, yeah, absolutely. And I think 
Although this is a must-have, I think, for any Doctor Strange fan, as you say, it pretty much is a Doctor Doom graphic novel for me. It, it's, it, it has yeah, to be. Um, but we are, as you say, taken through the eyes, um, taken through the journey through the eyes of Doctor Strange. So, um, yeah, a really, a really good, really good choice there, Will. Um, but that was your number three. So, you know, we've got... We've got two more here. Um, now, what I think we we'll do, like, we usually bounce around to another location, Will. So I wanted to, um, I wanted to grab Victor again, uh, or one of his Doom bots, and hopefully they can teleport us away to another location. Just because I'm getting a little nervous with Doctor Doom here. I mean, we're we're talking about his family affairs. He might catch wind. We might be prisoners here forever. So let's um, let's whisk away to somewhere else. Um, here's, here's a, a passing Doombot. Can you maybe please help us out here? Um, we'll uh, pay you later. <laughs> <laughs> Doom needs no one. All right, Will. Uh, hold on tight. I think they've got a te- teleportation device. Here we go. All right. Excellent. All right, here we are, Will. Uh, this is fantastic. I don't know whether this is a joke or not from them, um, but we seem to be in orbit in space. Uh, okay. So <laughs> I'm not sure why, but we're here. Um, I think I do know why, because we have uh, your rank two number, uh, number two book to take to the desert island. This one I was least familiar with, um, and... As we've come through the journey up to your top two books now, uh, I understand it, it is a Warren Ellis book. Um, it is Global Frequency number twelve. So this was a um, was it a uh, sorry a Wildstorm production, uh, an imprint of DC Comics as well. Uh, so this was issue twelve. Uh, artist Gene Ha. Uh, and Brian Wood does all the covers. The, the covers are brilliant. Um, actually, the, oh, yeah. the art is is phenomenal as well. My gosh, um, uh, very much something that you'd probably see in not one of the big two books. You, you know, it's more mm-hmm. of a. Um, uh, but we also have colorist Art Leon uh, and letterer Michael Heisler, uh, and uh, yeah, editor Scott Dunbeer. So. Well, I read this, number 12. It is the last issue of the run. Um, fair to say, for me, I was a little bit uh, out of place as to what was happening, although it did very much seem like a, a cataclysmic conclusion. Um, why don't you paint the picture of what this is all about, but also why did you choose this issue? So uh, Global Frequency is brilliant, uh, you know, 12-issue series, and each issue is kind of a done-in-one, but there's... You know some threads that, that connect everything, but it's uh, basically uh, there is a kind of a a known secret organization called the Global Frequency, and they all get these satellite phones, which was really cool at the time. Uh, but um, their leader, Miranda Zeros, ex intelligence operative, and her job and her reason for assembling all of these people together is to kind of find and diffuse the unexploded bombs, metaphorically, of the 20th century. So, in one issue, uh, you get a parkour runner in London cool. who has, <laughs> has to stop, yeah, who has to stop uh, uh, an attack because she's the closest one. Uh, it's a biological attack they're trying to do on the 
the eye or what was that thing called the the ring the london london eye yeah 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 yeah, yeah. uh and so the first thing you know the phone goes off and you're on the frequency you have 60 minutes 30 minutes oh, a day cool. to save the world basically yeah. and uh it's a series of issues they have to fight kind of this bionic superman thing in cool. <laughs> that was created in in like one of the issues uh this uh, Australian uh, police officer has to basically team up with a, a British uh, agent or something and stop this cult from killing lots of people in a building and it's lots of bloody gunplay, which, you know. Um, but this, so it's lots of different things of, and it deals a lot with, you know, how the military industrial complex has built all these stupid things that have killed lots of people and continue to kill people in though even though the the reason for their existence is gone and in this issue in the final issue the stakes get raised enough so that uh, we find out that a program was accidentally turned back on and it's going to start a countdown to uh launch these what they call kinetic harpoons basically these really Dang. big dense carbon rods just launch them at places you know big cities on the earth so that you get all of the destruction of a nuclear bomb without any of that messy radiation and it's so, <laughs> it's such a like funny idea in the sense that the way that they painted it was it's very simplistic it's like almost a catapult system and yeah, all exactly. it is is yeah. literally just a spear being catapulted down uh, yeah, and the heat kind of gains from the from entering the atmosphere, and it just like hits the city. Yeah, it's a, a really good concept. And the thing is, the people that are guarding the way to shut it off, is, as soon as it was activated, they won't take any messages, so that you can't tell them to shut it off because it violates its stupid, stupid system, right? <laughs> you know, it's military intelligence at its best, and <laughs> so they, you know, they call out. The call goes out on the, on the global frequency. You know, we've got to get somebody in orbit to stop this. Mm-hmm. So there's a private Elon Musk-ish, not a fan, but there's a private kind of person like that that's they're trying to do their self, you know, launches. So yeah. one of them gets launched into orbit and and to try to stop it. And while Miranda Zero and some of the other agents go in and have to kill all these military people so that they can, yeah. yeah. But uh, the reason it's on on this is it's the last page uh because the you know this this guy gets he's a he's a he just wanted to be an astronaut he wanted to go yeah. into space he gets launched into space and he's there and he's he tries the thing but it gets burnt out so the only way to activate the bomb to save the world is for him to be there and, and sacrifice himself yeah and the speech at the end that he gives is just amazing before he blows himself up and saves the world and it's uh, you know, it's awesome. Yeah. It really is. I, I'm not going to spoil it because if I try to read it, I'll just screw it up. But no, it's, no, no, it's amazing. It's something <laughs> definitely that we should leave for the loonies. Anyone that's interested to go check it out, check out all the other preceding issues as well. Read the whole thing. Twelve issues. You can you can really burn through that. In, yeah, it's in a two. Easy I think it's in two trade paperbacks yeah. that you can get. Uh, uh, world on fire and I can't remember the uh, anyway or something like that but the, the, yeah they're they're really great issues and the thing is he works with a different artist each issue and he plays to the strengths of each artist 
for that issue. It's yeah. amazing. Oh, the art is phenomenal. I just, oh my gosh, it was, it's brilliant. The amount of the, the perspectives that they use as well, uh, the way that the, I know it's all maybe digitally manipulated, but the way that the text and stuff is all kind of skewed and everything, um, just it's filled with information, each of the pages, uh, and it's, it's really good indeed. Definitely worth checking out. Uh, okay, well, uh, global frequency. I've never heard of it before, but um, thank you. Well, this is this is why we have people on. I love <laughs> hearing these new things, so um, uh, I'm for sure going to check it out. All right, number one. Oh, hang on. By the way, we are in orbit, right? What you just mentioned, um, kinetic harpoons, right? It just. I had a little glance out the window there. Something just looked similar to that. That's all. Anyway, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> um, and I heard a little beeping, but, you know, anyway, we'll, we'll, that's by the by. Um, okay, so your number one rank book here. No surprises here, loonies. And ding, 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 <laughs> drop king Phil. You picked it like a dirty nose, seriously. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we have here number one, Quasar 25. Uh, let me pull it out. Pull up the details here. Uh, I'm sure this was, of course, written by the master, the two, the two teams here of, uh, sorry, the two creators here of Mark Greenwald and Greg Capullo. They did such great work with Quasar. This was released August. We've just entered the 90s, 1991. Um, so Greenwald, Capullo, uh, Inca, Keith Williams, colorist Paul Beckton, letterer uh, Janice Chang, and editors Ralph Macchio and Len Kaminsky. Now, what a Awesome! What an awesome issue here to pick, Will. Uh, this is the the wrap up again. So yeah, a little bit of a common thread here. Uh, the finales here, Will. The, endings, the yes. Endings. <laughs> um, Cosmos in Collision, Part Seven of Seven. Uh, this was called Prologue Seven, All or Nothing. Um, so first of all, Will, why this one? Um, I can guess a couple of reasons, but <laughs> so. It's first off the uh, the writing, excuse me, is brilliant. Um, Agreed. Mark Greenwald just knows the Marvel universe and he gets it. Um, <clears throat> excuse me a second. Um, so, um, but the art. This is early Greg Capullo, mm. and early Greg Capullo is great. Um, mm. He takes a break after this issue and then comes back on issue twenty seven, and it's like he levels up. Mm. Uh, <laughs> it's just like, what did you do? Well, it's, <laughs> You went. You were great here, and you got even better yeah, here. And uh, holding back, what's going on? Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's amazing. But yeah. but this issue is the finale of, of Cosmos and Collision, and I've said this publicly many times. Um, Cosmos and Collision is bar none the best Marvel cosmic ever. I, you can yeah. keep your Infinity Gauntlet. You can keep all that other stuff. This is the best yeah. Marvel cosmic. And, and for loony, loony listeners that haven't listened to the Quantum Zone, uh, where you have mentioned that before, um, I reckon I I would I would agree as well. I mean, I haven't read as many cosmic um, events, but Cosmos in Collision is tight. It tells a good story. All the wheels are churning. The characters are just well fleshed out. Fantastic stuff. And it uh, so it's a seven parter. Uh, it starts with Capullo comes on Quasar with number eighteen. And Cosmos and Collision starts with number nineteen, so he's he's the artist for the series uh, while that's going on. Um, it I, I feel like because the way so the way Grunewald struck. I, first off, I love Quasar. I feel like if I were suddenly teleported into the Marvel universe, 
that's who I'd be. Okay, yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, I mean, so, sorry, Will. Let Let's just as well because the more and more I read of it and follow you guys on the Quantum mm-hmm. Zone, the more and more, and actually saw it on YouTube. Quasar is beyond Omega level. He is a massively powerful being. Like I don't think many people realize just how powerful Quasar actually is. Um, and you see it here in this issue. So sorry, I just wanted to say yeah. that. Yeah. The the quantum bands essentially mean he has infinite power, mm. uh, but he also has infinite responsibility. <laughs> so that's mm. the, the the core of the of the book is that you've got all this power. What are you going to do with it? And you're responsible for you know life in the universe. You know you're a champion of life. You're a protector of the universe, and dealing with that you know that responsibility uh, because it's Wendell Vaughn, middle name Elvis, which is awesome. Wendell <laughs> Elvis Vaughn is. <laughs> he is. Uh, he's a nice guy. His yes. first instinct is not toward violence. He is as a protector. He's. He's not a cop. He's not. Uh, he's somebody who generally wants to help. And the the cool thing is, and I think we talked about this in the Quantum Zone is. Uh, there's, there's a story, I don't know if it's apocryphal or not, but I'm going to tell it because it's such a great story. Uh, Mark Wade is known as having an encyclopedic knowledge of DC continuity. He can tell you about the different types of kryptonite and where they first appeared and what their effects were and all of these things, the, the legion of substitute hero. You know, any, any small bit of trivia about the DC universe, he knows. One person beat him, and knows more, and that's Mark Greenwald. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, he wrote and, most of the Marvel Handbook, right? He and, um, and uh, yeah, uh, Peter Sanderson. Sanderson. Yeah, yeah. So, Mark Greenwald has that that DC, that Silver Age DC aesthetic because they're the heroes of the Silver Age were were great humans and great heroes. Okay, you know. Yeah. Uh, Marvel, Marvel heroes typically had kind of a little bit more feet of clay. They were still heroic, and, yep. you know, but they had normal type problems. They weren't, you know, yes. these paragons of humanity that you know the DC characters were. And Greenwald, I think, loved that because I, I get the feeling that Wendell Vaughn and Quasar was almost like a Silver Age. DC character that existed in the Marvel Universe. Okay. Um, and at the time, the Marvel Universe was becoming kind of progressively darker. Mm. Uh, this is the grim and gritty post-Watchmen, uh, and, you know. And the Punisher had kind of... Yeah. yeah. Punisher had 19 titles and yeah. blah, 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 you know, Ghost Rider and all those things. And yet you had this character that was well-adjusted. You know, he was happy for the most part. He seriously wanted to help people and didn't you know his, his standard operating procedure was oh bad guy comes up to me put him in a bubble okay so he can't hurt me or anybody you know yeah. it's, it was it was about you know his his really wanting not to hurt people you know he was yeah. there's a there's a scene in um Quasar 28 or 29 where the Jack of Hearts is being controlled by Moondragon and there's this dampening field so 
nobody has powers and Jack of Hearts is going at him and he's like, stop, you know, he's yeah. blocking him. Like, stop, man, I don't want to hurt you. Yeah. Just, you know. yeah. And of course, Jack of Hearts grabs his cape. No cape, sorry. Uh, and, <laughs> um, yeah, I just love how, um, uh, I think I mentioned it on the show uh, in my my copious feedbacks to, to you guys, uh, just how I love how uh, Wendell strategizes about stuff and it's not just brute force. It's he'll yep. actually try to think of ways. He'll try to understand the problem, and then approach it in a in a very kind of reasonable way. Um, so yeah, yeah. And the way the way Greenwald structured it, he always knew from the beginning that as soon as so he give, we get an origin story in issue one, uh, which actually takes place before his first appearance in uh, what is it, uh, Captain America two seventeen, I think. Oh wow, something like that. Um, so, you know, back in the day, it was a member of the S.H.I.E.L.D. super agents. But we get the first issue that takes place before all that, and then the second issue takes place kind of after the Project Pegasus saga and, you know, a lot of those early appearances that he had. Uh, and he's set up that you're appointed protector, you have to fight a specific threat, the threat is coming, here is the clues about the threat, go do your thing, by Eon, who appointed Captain Marvel, uh, Marvel as the previous protector. So, what we see is gradually as the series progresses, um, him kind of starting to come into his own as you know, getting confidence and, and doing things because he's always quick to criticize himself. Yeah. Again, you know, he's a character that's he tries to do the right thing. His his idol is Captain America. Who can live up to that, right? Yeah. So when you don't live up to it, you know, you get kind of down. Um, and it's interesting because in that first, well, the second issue, he he tries, he's trying to find out about the origin of the quantum band. So he goes out to uh, Uranus, and <laughs> <laughs> we need that drop from Phil. <laughs> we do that joke all the time. Uh, anyway, he he goes out there and he kind of meets his opposite number. Um, if you look at the Marvel universe, you have eternity on one side and death on the other side. You know, life and, and death. But Grunewald kind of made it a, instead of a, a straight line, you know, between these two, he added dimension. You have oblivion and infinity. I love it. I love it. And, yeah. which, yeah, the, the big four points, I think, on the cosmic axis is what he called it. And So, sorry, well, what was it? Um, the four was um, uh, infinity, oblivion, eternity, and death. Yeah, yeah, death. Death, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so he meets kind of his opposite number, even though he doesn't know it's his opposite number yet, but he meets Death Urge. And you know, Death Urge kind of senses that, you know, he that he kind of came out all this way because he, he flew out there sublight speed, stand, you know, it took him years to get there and he was in suspended animation. Yeah. Um, you know, and Death Urge basically tells him he came out there to die. Yeah. And, you know, and that rattles, you know, that shakes his confidence. And it isn't until Eon says, look, you're the, you're the protector. Yeah. And he's like, okay. And then he's able to push back Death Urge and then we get this great cryptic, uh, quote from Death Urge, which is, you know, the next time we meet, you're going to beg me to kill you, and I'm going to refuse. And you're like, whoa, that's that's dark. And it happens. <laughs> yeah, 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 which so, is so good. The payoff is so good. Yeah. Yeah. And so we get through Cosmos and Collision, where you know, Quasar loses his arms. You know, he loses the bands. He gets, he gets put through the ringer. The real... gets put through all the ringers, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and then finally, uh, you know, and it, the way it opens up, because you have 
this is truly a cosmic event. You get the Watchers. Yep. And Grunewald just knew how to write the Watchers. Right? You know, he just knows how to write the Watchers. You get uh, the Celestials show up. You get all of these cosmic races that are watching as, you know, the universe is, you know, quickly approaching a point where it's going to be destroyed. Mm. And it all comes down to 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 Wendell against Maelstrom and such a good villain as well. I mean, he was a nothing villain in the West Co- in the yeah. West Coast Avengers, um, and yeah. he's just so yeah. well fleshed out here. Yeah, yeah, it's it's awesome. And then he doesn't beat him, you know, with the infinite power that Infinity's given him. He beats him with his brain. Yeah. It's just so awesome. It's really good as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's right. It was a it was a technical loophole, wasn't it? <laughs> Almost um, exactly <laughs> because Maelstrom had, I guess, absorbed or assimilated the uh, anomaly, which was another kind of force in the universe, um, yeah. and that was what was going to ensure his victory. But Wendell pulls out this thing saying he is the ultimate anomaly um, because of issue number eighteen, where yeah. he became a walking reality inversion. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. cool, <laughs> and that undoes it all. And this huge black hole starts spewing out light from in it, and that's Wendell. Um, I love the Avatar fight scene with uh, Infinity. Oh, Infinity, yep, and uh, Oblivion, and Oblivion. Yep. Uh, it was just really, really well um, thought out. But it, it's a must-read um, for loony listeners out there who may like the Infinity Gauntlet. Um, I cannot lure this one enough. Cosmos in Collision. It's only seven parts as well, um, but it, it's brilliant. There's no, there aren't any tie-in issues across it. It's not like that. It's a self-contained yep. Quasar um, arc, um, and you have Grunwald and Capullo at their best. But yeah, and actually, I mean it's cool thing is, as, as good as this is, is that Grunwald and Capullo, and then later uh, you know, with Inker Keith Williams, and later Inker Cand- Harry Candelario, they Quasar just kept getting better mm. for a while, and it had this momentum. It was just such a great book. And then uh, in 38, Capullo and, and Candelario, well, Capullo leaves on art. Uh, we get another great artist, Steve Lytle, but mm, he only lasts a year and a half. Yeah. So they had this great momentum built up and then it just kind of it feels like the book stumbles uh, after that but you can get uh, I think the first 25 issues are available in two trade paperbacks at this point yep I want an omnibus and I I want one as well absolutely Uh, there's 60 issues there screaming for omnibus or two omnibus omnibuy um, yeah. You're right. I, I'm so gutted because uh, you're right. Two two trades. The first trade is only issues one to nine, I think, or one to eight, uh, and that's long out of print. So it's hard to find. I don't know. Maybe in the yeah. US it's easier. But then you have a big, thicker um, trade, which is entitled Cosmos in Collision. It's got that uh, Todd McFarlane cover. Cover. Of, uh, of Quasar, <laughs> uh, the last person you'd think you'd be drawing Quasar, but he he does the cover to that, um, and it's yeah, it's really good. But it definitely needs an omnibus for sure. Yeah, and the uh, so it also includes a, a four part series called uh, Journeys into Mystery, yep. which is really in my mind uh, Quasar's thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, and sixteen, where the book it was good, solid superhero story for the first twelve issues. But not, I mean, and I like the character a lot, but it wasn't really a lot to write home about. With issue 13, it starts being something to write home about. Mike Manley's doing the art, which is great. But you start, 
you start getting, I think, to what Grunewald really wanted to do with the series and the character, which is explore all the strange and weird parts of the Marvel Universe. Uh, you know, we get the Watcher, and we get all these weird characters that we haven't seen in 20 years or 10 years, you know. And the book, just from that point on, it picks up momentum. You get a, a you get a fastest man alive race that uh, Barry Allen comes in and wins from DC, which is awesome. <laughs> Number 17. 18 is our kind of pivotal point where Capullo joins and we learn about Origin, which is another one of those abstract cosmic beings, mm. unbeing, which becomes important in, the, in this issue. But yeah, the that second trade, I think, is most of the best Quasar. If yeah. we could get some of the stuff that happens you know, up to like 39, 40, I think it would have all of the best of Quasar at that point. Uh, it's because it's just, it's such a great book. And I mean, you, you know, you get to a, the character where he's like in the Infinity War crossover. He, he uh, Caps tells, you know, everybody tells everybody, look, we're going to meet these people. Don't attack them. We need to find out what's going on. So the first thing everybody does is like jump to the attack. Yeah. He bubbles them up and is like, I didn't think they were listening, Cap. I hope it's all right. He goes, yeah. Wish I had a team full of you. You know, yeah. and, and that's just you know, he's he's confident and the art is beautiful and we're exploring all these weird parts of the Marvel universe. It's just such a great book and yeah. I really feel like one, this is a double sized issue. So yep. we're getting more, more page count, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> For Desert Island. And two, the art is spectacular, the story is great, and it really epitomizes in my mind you know, kind of all the great things about this character that I love so much, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think you've actually, what I reckon, uh, Will, is, you know, you talked about how a lot of the great stories around that kind of first, maybe first third or so of the whole 60-issue run, things kind of maybe level out a little. I reckon because, and you said it lost a lot of momentum, it stumbled. I reckon it's because exactly as you say, Quasar... Uh, he, he's a pre- protector of the universe. He's got a lot of responsibility. I reckon because he had such an integral part in the Marvel universe as a whole, like cosmically, that when they did these grand events like Infinity Gauntlet, you could not not include him. And then once you do include him, like you can't just tokenly include him, but once you do include him, then that would affect his his solo run because you're starting to mess with too many potentially too many cooks spoil the broth that sort of thing. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so it's a bit of a shame. But you're right. There are there's a nice slab of really great storytelling uh, in the Quasar run. So go go check it out, listeners. Um, uh, so Will, no, uh, thank you for those. Were your four Desert Island books? They were fantastic. Oh, actually, sorry. So you mentioned we are in orbit, right? And kinetic harpoons. <laughs> now I did hear some beeping. Now that thing outside, though, is that is that the bomb? <laughs> Hey there! I'm sure you know about the Capes and Lunatics podcast, but have you heard about the Capes and Lunatics Sidekicks podcast? It's a fun home for classic and new reviews of just about everything. We have the Ultimate Spider Cast, where we cover everything Spider Man, the Quantum Zone, where we talk the classic Marvel character Quasar and do deep dives on the cosmic side of Marvel. We also have Comic Capers, where we cover everything old and new in comics. It could be anything, any company, any decade. And we also have our Media Mondays, where we cover some kind of TV show, be it a Arrowverse, uh, current 
hit or our summer specials where we do reviews of uh, classic episodes of the Buffy the Vampire Slayer spinoff Angel. So, if you're a fan of pop culture and media, you should really check it out. And I promise you, you won't be disappointed. Yes, loony listeners, sorry about that. Uh, Will and I, we were caught in the satellite. It seemed that had to be um, diffused, unfortunately. Uh, but thankfully, we kind of got out of it. Uh, as you can see, we're, we'll, um, we're in a slightly slimier, squelchier part. I think we're inside Eon. Can you believe it? <laughs> um, but Not what... again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's hope we don't see any like cut limbs or hopefully quantum yeah. bands in here. But um, <laughs> Will, I wanted to thank you so much for uh, for for coming onto the show, uh, for bearing with the various locations that we had to endure. But uh, it's been a really insightful chat uh, to know a bit more about you and, and your love for comics, but also to go through hey. Talking about bonus content, we've got 20 comics here that Will has brought to the table. Um, the 16 rank outsiders, but we did get your top four books. So thank you so much. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me on. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, it's been it's been absolutely awesome. Um, so, Loonies, uh, what we have next phase um, in our episode 160 is that we have uh, another review of the Avengers uh, so Avengers 35, I think we'll see is part three of the Age of Conchu. So that will be on next phase. Forget about the phases of the moon there. Uh, also as well, uh, you can contact... Oh, actually, Will, before I say that, where, where can where can people contact you if they want to learn more about um, uh, just your love for Quasar, your love for Walt Simonson, or if they want to learn more about your Kickstarter projects? Uh, the, probably the easiest way is to uh, join up to the mailing list. If you go to uh, diaryofnight.com, there's a subscribe button there, and I send out you know, a weekly newsletter. Um, if you're interested in Quasar, quantumzone.org has all kinds of stuff that I've gathered together about the character. Um, cool thing, for instance, is uh, you could write into Quasar and get uh, something that Mark Grunewald wrote, which is everything you wanted to know about the quantum bands, which was you know he did, he made for an editor or for other writers oh, wow. that were going to use Quasar. So I scanned that and got it out there and got the, the text of that out there. So all kinds of just cool behind-the-scenes stuff, original art, uh, sketches, things like that. Um, and then I've got uh, willallred.com is uh, kind of under construction because uh, <laughs> I'm a lazy slacker, but... Uh, <laughs> If you're yeah, if you're just interested, uh, diaryofnight.com is also where uh, you can find out more about Diary of Night, and you can always email me uh, or hit me on Twitter, uh, w a l l r e d on most of the places, Gmail and Twitter and Facebook and probably Instagram, but I don't think I go out there very much. So TikTok, no, yeah, no, not yet. <laughs> no, well, thank you so much, Will. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll again, as always, chuck them in the show notes as well, so you can check them out. Easy to access. Drop Will a line, uh, and and better still, check out his uh, his coming up projects and Diary of Night as well, which is available out now. 
Um, and don't forget the Quantum Zone with uh, Bill and Matt, which is a lot of fun every week for us. Oh, absolutely. Uh, of course, we heard Phil uh, towards the beginning of the show there on the Wax Cylinder, um, uh, one of the co-hosts. Uh, uh, Will is actually the third of the hosts now. I've completed the set, you know. I've got, I've got right. the card collection. <laughs> <laughs> um, Phil, Matt, and, and Will now have, uh, have jumped on the Olara. It's really great. Um, I learn a lot from these guys, not only from their podcast, but also now from their Olaras, um, knowing what they're reading uh, and finding, discovering new stuff. Um, so from us as well, you can contact us on itkmoonnight at gmail.com. We're on, also on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, uh, Discord, uh, Podchaser. Uh, we have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash itkmoonnight. Uh, we have two sponsors I forgot to mention uh, at the top of the show. Anyway, hello headphones. If you uh, put in the code itkmoonnight, you'll get 10% off their online store. Go grab yourself uh, a nice pair of headphones. Or uh, Dreamland Comics, the superhero superstore from Illinois. If you type in the code moon on their website, you get 20% off. So a nice big chunk there uh, also as well actually thirdly from one of our previous uh, podcasts uh, 15% off I believe if you go to night underscore underscore shop on Instagram um, that is hosted by Sandy uh, he sells comics and stuff off there uh, just send him a DM with into the night and you'll get 15% off as well so um, great supporters of the show thank you so much sponsors thank you one and all uh, finally we are part of the collective so like the quantum zone like the quasar podcast we are an, uh, a member of this informal podcast network uh, we just love as you can tell we love our comic characters uh, some podcasts are co- character based uh, but others are more geek uh, oriented uh, geek culture based so capes and lunatics capes and lunatics sidekicks uh, signal of doom and uh i'll chuck in another one there we are uh we have a hulk sorry so so check out the members uh, all the links in the show notes as well uh they're fantastic shows and you can you too can learn a lot from them um so yeah so will i think i think we're gonna have to just bite the bullet and eat our way out of here what do you what do you reckon <laughs> I'll see if I can find a fork. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, Looney listeners, a big thanks to Will and May Conchu watch over the denizens of the night. Catch you later. Moon Knight and affiliated characters, stories and events are properties of Marvel Characters Incorporated. Materials used and discussed within the podcast are intended for critique and review purposes only under the fair dealing concept of the current Copyright Act. The views, information or opinions expressed during the podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of the copyright owners.